The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow, Tomorrow We, we Die. Die, a show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds just to have to play with a 13-piece ska band after visiting the concentration camp in Dachau. <laughs> it's dark, dark, man. It's brutal. <laughs> pick it up? No, I don't think no, so. I would no. rather not tonight. Give Thank me you. a minute. Let's not pick it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. I just. I was... <laughs> All right. This is the first episode back since our tremendously triumphant show at the clock out lounge yes which was uh as you said tremendously triumphant oh it was so good it was such a good vibe we almost sold it out we got close to selling it yeah it was Um, packed mm -hmm. how'd it go for you this was your band's second show right yeah it was our second show and you guys played uh, first it's pretty awesome to play to you know a nearly packed house for your second show and Uh just like feel the vibes and kick some ass i felt very positive (laughs) (laughs) not just about how we played but just about the response from everybody and everybody was so cool it was just like homies and then a bunch of people that are now homies i guess that i didn't know you know there's like a whole kind of new set of people that are in what we do dude that show poured some concrete on some friendship yeah i agree like it it was it was solid it was really tight a funny little moment about your guys' show so brandon your bass player Mm -hmm. who is recorded and will be on the show soon soon not today next but season. um yeah next season he's playing bass and obviously you guys are a new band and yeah you're still figuring out all the kinks and the loose ends um and there's one point where i was standing to the side of you guys watching you play and you guys go into a song and brandon i guess starts playing the wrong song like he didn't I'm, sorry brandon <laughs> i'm putting you on the spot right now but this is a funny story and He's doing the thing, like, I'm opposite him on the side of the stage, and I can, like, see his whole, like, facial expression, Mm -hmm. and I'm just watching him, like, radar around the stage, like, like, looking at you guys. Where where are we? Where are we? And then there's the point where he realizes he's playing the wrong song, and he just took both hands off of his bass and put them up in the air. (laughs) It was pretty good. (laughs) We're getting him a pedal board so that he doesn't kick loose his pedals anymore, Mm -hmm. because we play on the floor, and it gets a little crazy. It's awesome. It was so awesome. Yeah, next up was Tacos, which mm-hmm. featured Lupe from episode one. Always um, fun. So good. Don DeNoche, the guitar player, one of my favorite people. Yeah. Well. First time seeing them since their new record dropped, which is great. They kick ass. Yeah. Uh, next up was Fucked and Bound, mm-hmm. Lisa and Brian from episode three. What's, I mean, I mean <laughs> they're a badass hardcore band. Like, go I mean, look them up, man. Just like, yeah, you know. go look it up. It's fucking incredible. It's, Their record's killer. I love yeah. that last record. I can't wait for a new one. Yeah, it's like watching a little tornado like destroy something in front of you. Yeah. But it's all happy and positive. And then Lisa's screaming her head off, like saying all this mean shit probably about people she doesn't like. And then at the end of it, she's like, I just love everybody here. <laughs> so <awesome. laughs> I almost I almost spit my drink out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, uh, then Sandrider played and it was, man, that was fun. That yeah. was a fun show. I haven't seen you really guys good. in forever. Like I realized when I was yeah. watching you, I was like, I think I might have missed like their last four or five shows. Yeah. Although you don't play all the time. No, so. we don't. Yeah. yeah. It is what it is. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. The vibe was amazing. I think just the all the energy in the room was super positive. And um, yeah, we're going to make that a regular thing. I think mm-hmm. we're going to 
we're gonna do a season closeout party every year. I don't see why not. I mean, it's yeah. not like we don't know people in bands, and we like to play. So, uh huh, So um, thanks to Jody at the Clockout Lounge as well for kicking ass. Oh my god, cool. that'll continue happening. So I really quickly want to talk about the last episode, the chat with Horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a story there about. So if you haven't heard this episode, feel free to pause right now, go back and listen to it, mm-hmm. and then resume. Take a break. I'll give you a minute. Okay, we're back. Um, so they had a story about, they talk about a cop that pulls bands over. Yeah, apparently like a Texas cop that for real just does it on the reg. Yeah, so this is kind of a spoiler, but there's a cop who likes heavy music and knows guys in heavy bands, and he will pull over bands that he knows are touring through there just to fuck with them. Yeah. The extent to which they get fucked with is incredible. Yeah. And if you want to hear an actual story about a person who got pulled over by this cop, you want to check out another podcast about... Same cop, different band. Yep. There's another podcast out there, which is about bands telling stories from tours. And it's called Tour Stories. It's called Tour Stories. Yeah. It's run by some friends of ours. Mm-hmm. So check it out. Go find them on all the, the major podcast distributors. Very easy to find. It's called Tour Stories. They're published by Ruinous Media. The logo of their show is like a tape cassette. It's like a hand-drawn tape cassette with the word Tour Stories on it. Um, find the ep- listen to all the episodes because they're great. But yeah, and they're these great short vignettes from all these awesome people just telling their most horrendous and/or funny stories. Yeah, it's great. One of the episodes is a story about a band getting fucked with I by this cop. I can't believe it's the same cop. It's so funny. It's the same guy, and yeah, it'll surprise you the extent to which this individual goes to like <laughs> make a band think they're going to jail forever. <laughs> Yo, check this out. A quick aside. Uh, one time, right after 9/11, we were touring. We we're heading to Las Vegas. And we had to go across the dam. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Is that the Hoover Dam? Uh, sure. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it's a giant dam, and everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I don't know the name. So we get stopped by this cop, and what does he do? But he opens the van and makes us start taking out all of our gear. And we're just like, oh, oh screw you. This is post-9-11. They're going to think that we're terrorists, you know? Uh-huh. And the guy, like, kind of sweats us just long enough for us to get some stuff out of the van. And then uh-huh. he's like, it's okay, you guys. I can see the back of the van. It's all right. So what do you guys do? What kind of band are you in? Better uh, band? Oh, totally cool. Hey, you guys got a T-shirt? <laughs> so we kicked him down a T-shirt. Yeah. And then we were on our way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we were, we were sweating in the hot Nevada sun, you know, just thinking we're screwed for life. And yeah. it turned out to be totally awesome. Yeah, when we would get pulled over, and if the cop ever asked us what kind of music we'd play, we'd always say either Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. Like, sure. Oh yeah, we sound like Sabbath, man, and that's yeah. usually a pretty safe bet. The cop, yeah, like, Ugh, I love Sabbath, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you almost got a spit take on that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be soaked by the end of this. Um, so this is funny. I moved kind of recently. I moved like a year mm-hmm. ago. When I moved, I was you know packing, unpacking one of your like keepsake boxes. Sure, like, yeah, ah, I got shit, to do that I, as well. We moved saved. at the same time, weirdly enough. Yeah, I found. Jeff, an old tour diary. <laughs> How old? 2005? That's old enough. Yeah. We were talking about this before we started recording. Yeah. Just tonight. Most people who go on tour, like, fuck with a tour diary for a little and, bit. Like, maybe once. Yeah. Or half a tour. A lot of times it peters out. You know? Yeah. I did it for a while when we first started, and I have to admit, my head was way up my own ass. <laughs> like, I was very pretentious about it. Like, I'm going to write all of my thoughts and reflect <laughs> oh, on them no. later. The young um, John. Yeah, and it was just, it just ended up being dumb. Like, I'd get home, and I'd start to flip through it, and, you'd, like, you're in a room by yourself, and yeah. you're still embarrassed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> your face is hot, and you're like, ugh. Chuck that in a bin. Yeah, but there's a couple tours later on down the road where I did start keeping a diary, and I constrained myself to, like, an amusing memory about mm-hmm. the day, 
and then a funny quote if somebody said something funny. Okay, sure, because that's what tour spiel is all about. Yeah. A funny quote that he just keeps yeah. saying over and over again, and no one knows what it means after a while. Yeah, these are not shitty. These are pretty funny. So I'm going to read a couple of these. Yeah, give us a couple, but, you know, keep it short, man. Yeah. People don't got it like, all day. Well, you know, I'm just yeah, kidding. maybe they do. Maybe they do have all day. <laughs> Chapter one. Uh, okay. April 26, 2005, Reno, Nevada. Quote, I have trouble finding my name some mornings. Billy the Drunk. I don't, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I don't know who this guy was. All right, but he said it. Played at Sound and Fury record store. Cut the set short due to a weird paranoia fit that fell on me in the middle of the set. Slept at a house with a cat that only stopped meowing when it was shitting on the rug. That was Reno. Perfect. <laughs> Reno. April 27th, 2005, San Francisco. Hung out with Dave and the Alternative Tentacles crew some Killer. more. Matt is in Exhumed. This is like our first time meeting those guys. Uh-huh. Uh, of all those guys. Show was really fun. Walken was stellar. Walken was a San Francisco band that was super oh good. Oh my God, Walken was We used good. to play with them all the time. No burrito today. I have failed. <laughs> you did if you were in San Francisco and you didn't have your burrito. Yeah, and then the, the quote is, ferocious as usual. Jello Biafra. <laughs> in the Jello Biafra yeah. voice, as you must. <laughs> all right, this is a good one. April 28th, 2005, Santa Barbara. Played with Pillow Fight who quickly and forcefully proved me very wrong when I had spent the previous week telling everyone that The Good Life is the worst band I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going. <laughs> yeah. Yanni and I went on a 1.45 a.m. burrito quest. Yanni was one of our roadies. In the time. Last one, April 29th, 2005, San Diego. Walked into Chaser's Cocktails at 8 o'clock. It was a massive bummer. Blaring country music and not one of the eight patrons under 40 years old. Show came around, though, and we did our thing. Ate a Pokey's burrito pre-show and did not stop farting until 11:30 a.m. the following day. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't puke on the stage. Yeah, <laughs> you get good. You get good yeah. at it. All right, that's all for that. So Jeff, who do we have today? Well, this time around we have uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Ethan Anderson. His band is not necessarily um, as heavy as some of the other bands that we've featured before, but no. I think that's really a good thing. Yeah. You know no, I mean? I'm. I'm excited that we're breaking out of our, I mean, he's in our immediate friend group, yes. but we're yeah. breaking out of like our little, you know, group of shitheads that we Sub, sub-genres. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a sort of a family friend. He was weirdly at one point uh, my daughter's counselor <laughs> at the Boys and Girls Club, <laughs> and that's how I met him. And then the weird thing is, is he started dating my best friend from high school's little sister, and then they got married and had kids. And so like, we're like kind of family now. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was like, that happened over, you know, a 10 year period and mm-hmm. so you know in that whole time he's been uh in massey ferguson and, yeah uh, tearing not it up. the tractor no the americana band the americana band yeah. yeah i mean he could have been driving a massey ferguson the whole time i don't know i wasn't watching he was probably <laughs> driving a toyota or something that makes a lot more sense yeah they're not metal or punk they do they play hard oh they do they yeah. rock yeah they turn Legit. up like it's it speaks to me for mm-hmm. sure it's not it's not the type of music that um that i listen to all the time but you know when you listen to it and you know, see footage of them playing. It's yeah. like, yeah, those guys are doing it. They're doing uh, it right, and they're doing it hard. They legitimately kick ass live, yeah. and yeah. there is no doubt about it. And everyone who's seen them, I'm pretty sure, agrees. You yeah, know, you can't, you can't deny that. So Ethan's been touring forever. I mean, he's like, he's probably between our ages now, right? Yeah, I, don't know I think so. Yeah, um, he's got a family, he's got kids, and he's still going hard. He'll still be like, yes, I just got back from England. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, all right, man. You know, that's. One way you're paying your bills, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's really fun to hear his point of view, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, we actually invited Ethan to the show, the Tomorrow We Die show. Yeah. We sent him an email like, hey, if you want to come out, you'll be on the guest list, because, you know, your show's 
gonna be on. It's not out yet, but yeah, yeah come on, come party. His reply was, oh, I can't make it, guys. I'm gonna be at the Grammys. Yeah, <laughs> him and Cindy <laughs> went to the Grammys, and I got to see a whole bunch of pictures of them all dressed up. Before we get started with the interview, we can listen to little Massey Ferguson, yeah. and then we'll be talking with our first ever Grammy ceremony attendee. who you are and what you do my name is ethan anderson i play with a band called massey ferguson i play bass and i sing some people know who we are many many people don't Mm -hmm. uh, in this world because it's a big world but we do kind of a rock and twang thing that we've been doing now for like 14 years it's crazy it's been that long. i know i know and it's just not right and it's it's just (laughs) not absolutely not right i was in my 20s when i started this band and i'm obviously not in my 20s i mean for the audience out there you can't see me but I'm not in my 20s. A little gray in the beard. Yeah, there's a little of that. A little of that. I've gone some miles in that, <laughs> in that time. Pleasure to be on the show with you guys, obviously. That's been my main gig for a really long time. And we've had the opportunity to travel to 10 or 11 different countries, have some crazy experiences, and some better than others. But, uh, you know, we're still doing it. There's something to be said about that. Still doing it. Yeah, That's true. got to do it because you love it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear those stories. But before we get into those... I would love to hear about your first tour. Was your first tour with Massey Ferguson? Yeah, is this your first band, or how did that work? You know, I played in a group in the 90s with guys that I I grew up with, some of my best friends, you know, that whole thing. I wasn't old enough to get into the Seattle clubs when, you know, know, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. I didn't turn 21 until like 98, Mm -hmm. so like I missed a lot of that. So we came, I was in a group called A Bird of Passage, which was kind of a funny name, but we we were kind of like around the time of the swing thing, so we were doing a little bit more of a jazzy funky thing that whole cocktail um, yeah era. exactly there was a short-lived thing and and our first gig was actually the showbox side room with uh this woman Kristen hong it's called trailer park hoot nanny and it was like oh, yeah, a, i remember that yeah yeah and and that was our first gig so we always joked that like our first gig was the showbox but it was the showbox <laughs> side room yeah. and we had you know we had some fun but what we did at that point was we met somebody that was on this thing called the naca naca it was like the college tour thing and so we got really wrapped up in going to the NACA events and then 
ended up booking a bunch of shows at colleges, which mm-hmm. was... You can make good money with You that. can, which was at the time, I mean, I didn't have a job. <laughs> I didn't have a job. So getting in a, you know, your buddy's car and driving down to Redlands, California yeah. for, you know, 1500 bucks, you were like, oh, hell yes, I will do this, you know? And <laughs> those are, I, you know, to be honest with you guys, that was like some of the best times of my life that, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a job. I, it was just like a super carefree time. It was one of those experiences where you get a feel for what it's like to be a musician. Playing the colleges was pretty crazy at that time, too, because they'd pay you a ton of money, but yeah. you might be playing a cafeteria in front of three people. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or yep. you might be playing. We The best show we had was just in a dorm in front of like a couple hundred people, and, yeah. and everyone yeah. was going crazy. And dorm you know, shows are killer. There You're was playing, a, like the lounge space, and there's like couches and a yeah, TV. In totally. The no, that yeah. was exactly yeah. it. And yeah. like we we had this guitar player that was kind of like you know we, we called him the teenage lady killer, but he had a he had a <laughs> couple girls, and I, this is actually true, but they were crawling on all fours like cats up to the stage and kind of scratching <laughs> at him. So if there's a window into the college tour for you know young musicians, do the college tour because that kind of thing. Has never happened to me or any band that I've been in no, since. Yeah. The cat scratching yeah. thing. That was something I never yeah. expected. We did a fair amount of college shows on tour, and the show itself was never wild, but I always got excited about like maybe the people we stay with will have a card to get into the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. And some... we can get college cafeteria yeah. breakfast. That's it. And you know, that it's I think pretty, that happened it's pretty to me once. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't gone to college, it's like it's a window into the college experience. And and I, I think at the time we went, did a show at the University of Redlands and did a few shows down at that place. They kept having us back. There was these frat guys that kind of befriended us and like, hey man, you could sleep on our floor. And you know, and they were really into us because they had a tribute band called Turney. It was a mm-hmm. journey tribute band. I don't know why. Well, where did the Turney come from? I have I no idea. <laughs> but, but for the other guys in the band, I was I had just finished college at the time, but none of the other guys had ever been to college before and so that whole thing of like getting the key card to get into the cafeteria to uh, eat as much as you could eat yep (laughs) they were so stoked about that and then we stayed these guys in the fraternity and and like we went to their show and then they had us play a set and that was you know a lot of fun another like big crowd in a field basically in redlands Mm -hmm. california and went back to the house and a couple of the guys were like i got this idea man let's uh, take this couch up to the roof set it on fire and throw it down on <laughs> yes, the lawn and we're I like love that kind of we're shit. like oh great you know like how can we help but yeah. so so i think we earned our keep at that point cuz like we got to sleep on the floor cuz like I, I, if we hadn't helped them burn that couch i think they would have been like you guys get the hell out of here we don't <laughs> you wouldn't know, be any floor space we don't, be couch in the way you, know. <laughs> you almost made irish coffee go out my nose yeah, it's like you guys know this from experience too is sometimes the best shows are in the weirdest places Mm -hmm. you know like you know i've played in san francisco a number of times and never had a good show there but like you go to some place like who's been to redlands california you know nobody go to school there exactly and and for us it's like i called one of the guys from that band a couple days ago when we were talking about redlands just because of the Mm -hmm. weird stuff that happened there and the just the excitement people had they didn't know that we were you know some fairly unknown band from seattle they were just like, oh, these guys are, we got this band in town and like, let's burn a couch and throw it <laughs> off the roof. <laughs> awesome. Uh, at what point did Massey Ferguson start touring? You know, a lot of times with, you know, your first band, it's almost like your first girlfriend in a mm-hmm. way. And, and, you know, these guys were from my hometown. They're still really good friends of mine. They were both in my wedding. But breaking up from that band, that first band was almost like breaking up with your first girlfriend. Yeah, it's all like, I'll never love again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
But I started working at the Wallingford Boys and Girls Club. Jeff knows this. I and I, I met the guitar, the, the, who would eventually become the guitar player in my band. And he had toured around in this group, Fragile Jack, which has the distinction of playing a showcase in LA with Matchbox 20. And the fact of the matter was like, I don't know, Interscope or one of those labels yeah. was like, we're going to sign one of these bands. Well, they signed Matchbox yes, 20. Yeah. Probably a good decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that my buddy's band was no good, but like, you know, they made a lot of money off of Matchbox they 20, did. but they played like the Viper Room with matchbox 20 the thing i was going to ask is it was like uh it was like a showcase show where right someone was going to get signed this is kind of like i'm thinking of in the dark night when the joker breaks the pool cue on the floor <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i'm hiring one of you guys exactly that was there was, there was something to that because like I, I, I that was um adam who, who's the guitar player in massey ferguson they were working with you know rick and raj parasher and, uh-huh. and you know those guys were shopping them around They're like i think we got something for mm-hmm. you go down to la do this showcase and you know there's a good chance we're going to get some sort of offer that we will accept and for whatever reason it didn't happen but him and the drummer of that band fragile jack after that whole experience they were just kind of like i don't know i don't know but they were still playing together Mm -hmm. and writing songs and so after getting out of my traumatic breakup as i've (laughs) described we started writing songs at the wallen for boys and girls club had a new site and it was under construction and so there's like you know she rock everywhere and like if you sang there for too long you'd start coughing oh i know that one (laughs) my friend's practice place was like that exactly (laughs) i mean our most practice space is kind of like that i mean even when you get on a higher level you're still in a crappy practice something crappy about every practice place So we started writing songs, and then um, to that late 2005, which is 14 years ago, we played a show at the All-American in the U-District on the night that there was some underage girls that got in and got busted and shut the club down for good. Oh. So Ooh. that was our first show. Well, good job shutting that. Yeah. <laughs> that place kind of sucked yeah. anyway. Maybe so, you shouldn't have you know. invited your girlfriend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any underage girls that come to see our band. Be Good honest for you. With you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there might be like some overage girls, you know, yeah. 60 plus, but underage, uh. overage. Sometimes you look at the Spotify demographics of the people that listen to your music uh-huh. and you're like, huh, we really could improve at the 18 and under <laughs> demographic. So Massey Ferguson does pretty good in Seattle. I mean, I've seen you last last show I saw you. I didn't actually go to the show, but I saw that you were playing um, Triple Door. That's the last one I saw that you guys were playing. Yeah, came which, back is from a, tour. which is an odd fit for us. The Triple Door is, if you're not from Seattle, it's a place where you can get a bottle of wine and some pad thai, sit at a table. Yeah, it's like a sit-down, like jazz place. It's the closest place. Yeah. I'll ever be to being Frank Sinatra. Word, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's an odd fit for us, because like I don't think anybody has ever sweat on the Triple Door floor, as, <laughs> or at least as much as we have, you yeah. know? The thing about this band that's been interesting is is we've gotten these wild offers, and I think after the other guys and me, you know, coming out of that experience of the '90s Seattle, and then also that breaking up with your first girlfriend, I think <laughs> we just had this kind of fuck it attitude where we were like, if we get an opportunity, let's say yes first, and then figure out how to yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. And at the time this band started, I think I was also still unemployed. We'd play shows every once in a while. Instead of splitting the money up, we'd just bank it. Uh-huh. So probably the first offer that came, Army Base in Germany. See, that's where I was leading to. Yeah, yeah. You do well in Seattle, but then you play in these weird places. I know, and a lot of it is a function of just being like, all right, let's see how we can make this happen, and having the personnel that's interested in doing that. And I think that's such a key thing about a band, too, is like if you kind of have a clear kind of an ethos, sometimes you can get these things things to happen. But, I mean, if you're willing to be stupid, um, you know... You know what I mean? Because what's the smart move? The smart move is to work. Yeah, the the, the smart move is to work overtime, get a little bit of money, have a nest egg, buy a house, 
raise a family. You know, that's the smart move to do. Mm -hmm. But when the first armored tank division in Germany says, we want you to play this party, (laughs) you want to be like, how can we make it happen? And, And we happen to know someone through the Boys and Girls Club, a German guy who had interned there that helped us line up a few shows, one of them in Dachau, which is the best show of that tour, like two hours after we went and saw the concentration camp. Oh, wow. so, so you can lighten I mean, the mood. Yeah, you want to talk about heavy, you <laughs> yeah. know? And yeah. we were just like, Oof. you know, and our keyboard player at the time, he was with us for a really long time, Jewish guy. And sure. he was like, he was just really having a tough time. You know, obviously, I think yeah. we all were just with the way they opened that up and talked about Dachau and, and all the stories there. It's just, it's just horrendous. So we left there just being like in the most messed up mood, went to this club and it was packed with all these 20 something German kids that were just, you know, when we played with like a 13 piece ska band. Whoa. Totally weird. <laughs> That'll lighten it up exactly. even more. Yeah. And, and like that was also maybe inappropriate. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> You're all thinking you know, this is. You're like, way too happy. Do you Why understand you the mood so I'm in right fun? now? Do you understand how dark I feel right now? Put your fucking trumpet away, sir. Exactly. You put that away right and, now. And, uh, you know, saxophone. And yeah, yeah, trombone. Yeah. Like, there's too Everything. much horns right now. Um, you know, but then again, that's the show on tour that we made no money. We made zero money from that show, but it was the most fun. From that show at V-Spot and Army Air Base mm-hmm. with Patton's division, the first armored yeah. tank division. Big Red 1. Exactly. We got paid a ton of money to play what we later found out was a pre-deployment party. Mm. Uh, So these guys were going on at that time, 18 months, either in Afghanistan or Iraq. Yeah, one of those 2007. Mm -hmm. So it was like the mood was actually really somber and it was a tough gig that... What was kind of cool was this guy, the general Mark Hurtling. I'll never forget this. He got up on stage and he was like, do you guys know Brown Eyed Girl? We're like, <laughs> sure, we can figure it out. But he yeah. got up there and sang General Mark Hurtling singing Brown Eyed Girl to all these troops. And then like, I don't know, six months later, I was flipping through CNN as, you know, General Mark Hurtling on there he CNN. Is. You know, and I was like, I played with that guy. <laughs> I played Brown Eyed Girl with that dude. That is probably something not very many people can say. I know. And I like, he was actually a pretty cool guy. Our band is named after a, tractor combine company and one of the the other general guys was from nebraska and he was like you know why the hell are you guys named after a tractor (laughs) (laughs) i thought he was gonna like drop down and make me do 20 but (laughs) what was funny about it is he was you know he was like well you you know how old are you and i think at the time was like 30 or 31 he was like well you know we've we've just upped the enlistment so you could be 38 now up to 38 and join the military and i'm (laughs) like yeah i don't think i'm gonna do that you guys are going to iraq for 18 months Uh i don't think so i'm not gonna do that <laughs> that's great and i can imagine the mood at a show like that being kind of intense too like even though we're, you're, you know, you're obviously you're playing a show you're entertaining people they're having a good time but there's probably some like expectations on everyone there's just like i need to make sure i have a good time yeah today. yeah right. the last right. time i have fun for, for a long long, long yeah. time yeah. yeah and i mean you know that if you think about it too it's like there's probably guys from that that didn't come back or guys that came back and, you know, like the suicide rate among veterans yeah. and all that. So it's like, yeah. if you think about that in context, that's a really sober environment to play a show and be yeah. like, you know, hey, everybody, let's what, rock. Yeah, let's what, rock. what a responsibility on you. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we got a lot of really cool souvenirs from that. They gave us, you know, like these pins, these first armored tank division pins. And then we got like a 1 AD beer mug, the beer mm-hmm. stein mm-hmm. That's, that's at my parents' house. But it's like those kind of experiences, if we hadn't said yes and also lost 
quite a bit of money sure. on that tour, yeah. we mm-hmm. wouldn't have had that experience. And, you know, you go from like playing an army air base, V-Spot, which I, I, from what I later read is once owned by the Nazis, to like playing Dachau, concentration camp, town. That's what it's known for. And playing mm-hmm. yeah. a really killer show there. And then the next night we played a youth hostel in Munich, mm-hmm. yeah. which was also just crazy. So, yeah. I've been to Europe on tour a number of times as well, but you guys did a thing that even us in our like crazy, wild, rambunctious days wouldn't have done where you, you got an offer for a show in Germany and you guys are like, we'll make it happen. We'll yeah. figure out a way to yeah. get there yeah. and just do it. Whereas we were very much like, well, yeah, we'll tour Europe and we'll play all kinds of garbage shows, but it's got to be worth our while. Like we don't have a ton of money. No one was paying our ticket to get over there. Yeah. Like, we yeah. had to save a yeah. ton of money in addition to paying rent on really crappy jobs to buy the plane tickets to even get over there. So we were like looking for people who could like set up a week's, two weeks, a month's worth of shows. Right. And then we'd have a driver who'd like drive us around and you rent the whole back line. Yeah, and everything. you got to rent so, the back line. All I'm saying is hats off to you, man. That is <laughs> that is reckless dedication. It's pretty incredible. Exactly. And and what's funny about that too is like since that tour, things have gone, I'm putting air quotes for those of you who are listening, <laughs> but they've gone well. Like we got signed to a label in the UK. Mm-hmm. We've got an agent in Spain that's toured us around. We've had like booking agents, we've had record labels, we've had album releases in these places, but you know, to be honest with you, I, I think like we had more fun at that. I think we did five shows on that tour. We were mm-hmm. gone for 10 days, played five shows. I think we had way more fun doing that. We got into this, somehow got into this big festival in Australia a few years later, Apollo Bay Festival, which is down in the southern part of Australia. And that was kind of the biggest leap. That was like, okay, this is an expensive <clears throat> plane ticket. Yeah, and it it's a really long way to go. Mm-hmm. But we got in and then we had an agent that was like, we'll get you, you know, five or six more shows. But we, I mean, maybe we did seven shows on that tour, but we didn't have a like what we've done in Europe is we've had a driver. We've had we've mm-hmm. had to rent the driver, the back line, the gear, the van, yeah. the sprinter van. Yeah. Sometimes you have to pay for accommodation. Sometimes you don't. So in like in some ways, if you're talking about, you know, releasing a record on a label, you're talking about getting distribution, you talk about doing radio campaigns and things like that. The last three or four tours we've done have been very quote unquote successful, Mm -hmm. but we had more fun in those early days when it was all just really off the cuff. And I mean, maybe that's a function of being younger and being able to roll with the punches a little bit more sleep on somebody's floor. Mm -hmm. Like we did in Berlin. I slept on a wood floor with no blankets and no pillow, (laughs) Nice, you know, and I I probably, (laughs) I probably wouldn't do that again. The more air quotes around slept. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of air air quotes. (laughs) And that, and that's the funny is as I've gotten older, we've had these weird opportunities and I keep jumping on them and, and they keep leading to things and that's great. But it goes back to like, what the crux is, I think, of this show, which is that idea of touring and, you know, what does it mean? You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing to advance the art and how meaningful is it to you? And, and if I look back on those early tours, we didn't have a label pushing us. Yeah. We didn't have the expectations of selling records or doing a radio campaign. Okay, did we get a write-up in Mojo? No. Damn. You know, yeah, like, right. And it was something so pure and beautiful about just doing that kind of more DIY touring where we could push it as much or as little as we wanted. And we could also have just days off, lots of days off. Yeah. And we, we did that really well on those first two tours, that, that Germany and that Australia one. I think this is a perfect time to take a break and listen to a little bit more Massey Ferguson. <laughs> Why don't you dream about me? 
pays off for a good thing. Do you think like your kind of chosen music style has kind of helped you open a few pathways? Is it make it easier in Europe, you know, or or is it just you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing and you're just pushing your band? Well, yeah, well, I mean, I think maybe a little of both. The weird thing about it is Americana, air quotes again, yeah, has gotten hot in certain areas, you know, and I think that helped buoy South by Southwest to become like a global phenomenon. Sure. There's, you know, we played Americana Fest, which is Nashville's version of that, which is a hundred times cooler because it's way smaller yeah. and, and more artist driven. But it become a thing, especially in the UK, and I think that's where we've done four tours of the UK in the last five years. It's been great because there's a dedicated scene to that kind of music. It's almost like if you think about blues or you think about metal or you think about jazz, it's like, you know, people will just mm-hmm. hear about you through the grapevine mm-hmm. you know all oh, these guys opened for reckless kelly or everlast or whoever you know like all the people that we played with over the years they'll be like oh these guys played with sunvolt you know mm-hmm. whoever whoever and so they'll check you out just because they're into that style of music which makes it a lot easier it does also kind of put pressure on you to stay within that genre the confines yeah, you don't of want that it genre. quite straight too mm-hmm. far when and you're I, writing songs exactly and i mean I, I think you guys could appreciate that too where it's like sometimes people within genres are very close-minded it's like <laughs> oh you know, it's so this true is not you know yeah especially I, in metal i think i think of metal as the quintessential example example of that and there's a chuck klosterman book about metal where he really gets yeah. into that too and it's a great book and really eye-opening about that too where it's like what is metal and in, in some ways like you know what is americana it, because it encapsulates a lot of like you know blues it could be kind of more bluegrassy yeah, it could bluegrassy. be more full-on country it's all of these different things but being in that scene a couple things number one the demographic skews a lot older okay especially <laughs> especially in the uk so like you know I, I every once in a while have single friends that'll be like you know what are the girls like over there or whatever I'm like, like well they're like over 60 yeah. so <laughs> they're like they're, my mom yeah they're not girls uh, at that age yeah. my friend but, um so it's it's just funny how that goes because there's not even all that it, at least in when i'm talking about the uk americana scene it's mostly like 60 year old guys and older yeah. that are into that kind of music but they're so dedicated into that music that they might know groups in seattle that you may not even know sure. you know and that australia tour i talked about we got there because of an australian dj that was playing us a lot and you know helped us get into that festival i was talking about but he's a quintessential example of that guy where he's he's like yeah do you know you know I talked about North Twin with Tony mm-hmm. Fulgham and Tim DeGiulio you know North Twin I'm like how do you know those guys yeah. that broke up four years ago you know <laughs> uh, mate, they made a good record I'm like yeah they did <laughs> um, but the, the people in the UK in particular that are into Americana are very very into Americana and like. <laughs> We played this festival over there, Maverick Music Festival, which is right in the heart of like Suffolk, which is like, you know, northeastern England. It's just so funny seeing how they interpret Americana, just uh-huh. being from the UK. It's like you got all these British guys in cowboy hats and cowboy yeah. boots. And I met a, a British guy, and he was, you know, like East Indian British guy, and he was in a, an American flag jumpsuit with a cowboy <laughs> hat. And I, and I just, I like, I, I wanted to take a picture of him and post it on Facebook, but like, I almost like, in a way felt bad for him because this is right after Trump got elected. Yeah, so you're just, not going to go Ooh. that direction. Yeah, and it, it's just there's uh, there's, there's context, yeah. you know? Have you read so the you, news, yeah. Sir? yeah, Yeah, I mean, I just, I just had, I, I gave the guy a hug because I was just like, you know, hey man, you're owning this, you know? Yeah. But if I had posted that on Facebook, the idea of, you know, having to fend off either super liberal friends of mine that are yeah, like, you know, gross whatever, or, 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 you know, yeah. people from my family that are big Trump supporters being like, fuck yeah, see, you know, people of color love Trump. You're like, 
I don't think this guy kind of gets it, you know? Yeah. And, and there was a lot of people over there that really very much like America was kind of the way maybe people in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, dressed like the Clash. Yeah, you know? sure. It, it was like, the, the difference is, though, is like these people are quite a bit older. Their fantasy is to go drive around the U.S. and go to the Grand Canyon. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're more into Cormac McCarthy and authors like that yeah. than anybody could ever imagine. So it's funny seeing Americana interpreted in that way. I mean, because, Britain's always been that way. Yeah. They, and, that's, and, and that's how admit like that. bands like the Beatles and stuff came up is because they were obsessed with American music. And it still continues to this day. No question about that. And, and, and what I found is a lot of British people were very self-deprecating about that. They're like, yeah, yeah, we stole the blues from you guys or whatever. Yeah. They say, you know, <laughs> um, you know, we made the blues cool for white people too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll, they'll say, no, but they'll, they'll kind of have yeah. this very um, self-deprecating way of talking about how their path of music and, yeah. and how they got it from us and then reinterpreted it. So I actually kind of appreciated that. That's cool. So there's a thing that happens when like underground punk bands or metal bands, like the scene that Jeff and I sort of roll in <laughs> where you're on tour, you're playing some weird place. Like you, you just, you know, you get a show at like Lucky Tavern or whatever. It's like some just like weird place. You don't know anything about it. You roll up and they're like, yeah, here's the stage. And it's in the corner of a room. And you look at the rest of the room, and it's a restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Tables and a wait staff and a host, and they're like, "Yeah, you're gonna go on around 10. And you're like, "Well, okay." Do you guys like shut the restaurant, move the tables out? And they're like, "No, no, no. You guys, you go on at ten. You know, here's your drink tickets. Uh, here's the promoter. See you later." And you're loading in your gear. And so, like, when you're a band like mine was. Yeah, and mine. You're loading in amps that are bigger than humans. Yeah, like, it right. takes, like, two yeah. people per part of an amp. Yeah, like, you're, full you should, yeah, exactly. and you should have yeah. a forklift to help you get your gear in. Yeah. Like, instead, right. you don't. And you're just looking at these poor assholes sitting mm-hmm. there. Like, yeah. you have no idea what's coming. Families, kids. Just trying to go out and have a nice yeah, dinner pizza. on a Friday night, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like Bakersfield, California, or right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And as a musician in that moment, I am not happy about what I'm about to do to these people. Like it's just like I mean, I'm, there's a part of you that is though. You kind no, of want to crush people's souls. I'm really not like I, <laughs> okay. I'm one of those shots, a, slight shot. He's a nice guy. Yeah, 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 a little bit of that, like a shock to the system. Right. Yeah, right. I'm. I'm like I'm really actually kind of sad about it. And also like selfishly, the selfish side of it is. I want to play to my people. Yeah, like I, I know yeah, I'm yeah. not going to convince anyone here, right? Like yeah. I'm just going to be a nuisance. Yeah, and especially now after you know being a father and having those nights where I like I don't want to cook dinner, I don't deal with any shit. <laughs> I just want to go. We're gonna have a nice dinner. We're gonna go have a nice metal band stage, and like I just want to like have a moment of peace with my family, right? And so yeah, those shows are like were some of my least favorite to play. Whereas where I feel like the person who set up that show was being very irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not thinking like putting the things together. They were not yeah. they didn't listen to the demo on the press kit is yeah. what it was. That was a weird part of punk back in the day too, like in the seventies is people would end up playing all these Howard Johnsons and stuff in the exact same way. Yeah. Like, right, I think right. I think honestly like if you look at uh the Sex Pistols tour, there were some shows that they were playing that were just like that. Oh you sure. You know what I mean where these British guys dressed to the nines they're junkies and they're crazy and they're drunk as fuck. And they roll into this fucking hojo uh-huh. and they just terrorize everyone in there. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys caught, there's a Spotify podcast about the clash, the history of the clash. Uh-huh. And they get into some of those stories and it's just insane. Like those guys, they were from such a, just a different bag that them going to some place in, you know, Mobile, Alabama or yeah, something, sure. it might as well have been the moon. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, seriously. and like they're spitting everywhere and everyone's like, why are they spitting so much? <laughs> Clean you know? that up, son. Yeah. And like, I'm just, there's so much of those kind of stories, but it's like that, that exact idea of like misplacement. Yeah. And, and I think as a band, you get in those scenarios because like, 
where are venues? Okay, well, venues need to have people. Well, where are people? Well, usually there's, you know, restaurants. Restaurants have people. Mm -hmm. Right. People go out to eat at night a lot of times. So, okay, we got night, we got food. Let's have music, you know? And if you got the wrong booker... Yeah. Yeah, and our drummer, Dave Getty, very patient man, very loud drummer, especially for, like, an Americana band. Uh And hardest conversation because you're like hey man for like the first five songs can you just like take a little off uh-huh. and you can just see Ooh. the piece of his soul Ooh. die yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know ask what a drummer to play soft you yeah. know ask, ask a guitar player to turn <laughs> down you see a little bit of their essence get yeah, drained it does you know yeah. and, and you're just like you know you're gonna say it you're like hey man is there any chance and you know yeah. the face is gonna come you gotta have that conversation yeah oh, yeah 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 because i'm kind of like you where i feel like bad for you if you're in the front row for the first few songs and you're eating whatever it is. That's why I say the triple door is uh, a yeah, weird sure. fit for us. Sure. People yeah. are like, nice. What what kind of red would you like? Well, can I see the wine list? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what kind of pad thai? Can I get that, you know, the gluten-free pad thai yeah. or, you know, whatever. And you're just like, they've had a hard week. Yeah. They're probably working a job that they're not that happy with, or they probably put in extra hours. They had to get a babysitter to yeah. do this. Uh-huh. And then you're just going to go, one, two, three, four, you know, and yeah. we're... Yeah. We are not a metal band, but we are a pretty loud Americana sure. group. And so definitely been in that scenario. Yeah. Well, so recently. So my question for you, though, is what's the Americana version of that? Like, is there a twist on that? I feel like maybe a, a more indie band or an Americana band or a folk band would be able to take that situation and make lemonade out of lemons, right? Is there a situation where you have ever been like loading into a place and you're like, Oh, this is a shitty metal club. Like we are not. <laughs> this opposite. is not it's gonna ruminating. go well. Or like you show up and it's just like some asshole's basement with like punk posters all over the wall. A place where like me and Jeff would be like, yeah. "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> we we had a place like that. Oh man, it was actually a fairly metal experience in some ways, uh, mainly because of where we stayed that night. But uh-huh. um, sounds good was, already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is in a place called Bedford, UK, and this was in July, this last July, and we were played this club with this lady, Danny Nichols, who's an amazing kind of singer-songwriter, very kind of, um, mm-hmm. she's done a lot in the UK and pretty well regarded over there and kind of making a name for herself in Nashville mm-hmm. now. But, you know, we're pals. We were on the same label for a little while, and she was like, I'm from Bedford. Let's play a show there. And we're like, well, what's the venue? She's like, well, it's called Esquires. And Esquires, <laughs> like, I walked in, and there's, like, a picture of, like, they have, like, you know, their kind of Hall of Fame, and it's, like, first one is, like, Muse, you know, and, mm-hmm. like, when they were first starting yeah, out, sure. and then it's, like, Arctic Monkeys when they're first starting out, and it's, like, as I'm going across this wall, it gets heavier and heavier, <laughs> so I'm, like, all right, how's this gonna go, you know, we got a female singer-songwriter, and then we headline the show, and we're doing kind of the Americana thing, and what I appreciated about the club, in stark contrast to most clubs, is they were like, let's move it from the big room. And the room actually looked, you guys wouldn't believe it, but it looked exactly like the fun house, you know? Oh, yeah, not, the fun, that, not the new fun the house, fun but the house. old one. Like that shitty vibe where it was Totally, a... which you guys would have been stoked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would have walked in there and been, I'm home. I'm yeah. home. <laughs> uh-huh. There is heaven. Yeah. Um, but so they were like, let's not have you guys have go in this room. We have a side room that's about half the size and it was like one of the best moves we could have made because there was probably only like maybe 50 or 60 people there, which in a big metal room, yeah. that's just, and if I remember correctly, it was really cold in there, you know, because mm-hmm. the UK mm-hmm. in weird ways, it could just be cold in July. It might yeah. be like 48 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. And it's just so weird how that goes. But it was really cold in there. They moved us into this other side room, which had a really cool little bar, little stage. And we had a great show. 
Then we looked at the itinerary and the place that we had booked. This is one of the venues that didn't help us with accommodations. So we, of course, we booked the cheapest place possible. Yeah. It was called the Easy Hotel, which is connected with EasyJet, which EasyJet is known for like transporting soccer hooligans from England to like <laughs> oh, Estonia no. okay, yeah, to sure. like break stuff. Uh -huh. and, yeah, they're just going to go know, follow their team. The, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, they're, they're drinking on the plane. They get off and like throw a beer bottle on the tarmac. Yeah. You know, that's what EasyJet is known for. Well, EasyJet has hotels. Oh my God. So we stayed in the EasyJet hotel was me and the driver like you know the other guys stayed in there the another room three of them in a room and me and the driver were in a room that was like and i'm not i know i have a tendency to exaggerate but the room was probably seven feet by about six feet with two beds and a shower uh -huh. and no windows nice Jeez. so after the show we were like oh man let's, just, let's go have some drinks and like oh man we're in bedford we're like hey you know we're actually staying in milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is this town in the UK that they built from nothing. There was nothing there. It's like, what, what's a soulless city in Washington? I, I think of like Kirkland or Redmond, except this was like a hundred times worse because it was only like five years old. They, oh, yeah, like, it's, it's a like, planned it, community. One of those ones that just pops up. Like, um, kind of like uh, how we were talking about how Bothell became real fast. Like, yeah. Right, or if yeah. you've been out to um, the town of Snoqualmie. Oh, that is a yeah. perfect that, Like Stepford, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Where did all these McMansions come from? Right, exactly. And it was, it <laughs> was like that, except for the Easy Hotel, which is like the crappiest, worst place you've ever stayed with no windows, <laughs> sleeping next to a six foot five British driver who snored. Sounds so, like prison. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot like prison. Yeah, a solitary <laughs> confinement that's not so solitary. Uh -huh. you know? Oh boy. Yeah, but but like so so I mean, and to your point too, it's like we kind of distort our guitars. We're kind of pretty twangy, but we distort. So we get on the weirdest bills. Like we'll be with a very sensitive bluegrass Americana group. Mm. And then the next show, especially like if we're in the UK, but even in the US too, then the next one, it'll be on with like a really hard rock band. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, you kind of define who you are in some ways about like who you play with or who you're linked with. You yeah. Know? yeah. We've got this bill going on at the tractor. Okay. I love the tractor. That sounds good. You guys are headlining. Cool. Here are the other two bands playing and they might be just all acoustic. Somebody's got an upright bass. Someone's got a mm -hmm. fiddle. Yeah. There might be two female singers singing in beautiful harmony. Yeah. That's Breathy. just not our bag, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I always feel bad in those scenarios, too, because it's like these people came to the tractor. Either they came to see us and they're, you know, screaming like, Massey fucking Ferguson, yeah. you know? <laughs> or they're for, they're for that band, they're like, well, people are talking during this, this show that people shouldn't be talking during the show. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and like, and I... I <laughs> I got in trouble, I, you know, like, I, I was pals, I, I mean, I don't know, we weren't super close. We spent some time together, you know, Sean Smith, Sean Smith, rest mm -hmm. in peace. Yeah. But we played a show with him, like, maybe eight years See, ago or so. that would be so. a good lineup. And it was, it was yeah. amazing, it was so fun, and I got in trouble for talking during Sean Smith's show. But <laughs> well, I think people were pretty appreciate They that, were worshipful you know? of Sean. And, and for good reason, the yeah. guy, the guy was, you know, amazing, and I drove him home, like, a couple years ago after a show, and, and you know, he's actually my neighbor, not that far from, it was up the road from Sands on 15th. Oh, yeah. And, you know, everyone knows Sands. It's a sure. good place. There's a VIP room. <laughs> um, but that's, like, kind of my neighborhood, too. So I, you know, I drove him home a few years back. But, like, I always got the vibe from him that he didn't really care that you were talking during his set. Yeah. He kind of had a little bit of that edge, too, and, like, turned it up with Satchel or whoever he was he playing with. He came up during ball, the scene when was... people were loud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he kind of got that. But I think I was telling someone, I'm like, this guy's fucking amazing. And then they're like, shh. Stop talking, you know, and I'm like, I'm just saying how great this guy is, you know.
Did you go to South America? We've something? never been to South America, but we've been to Latin America a few times. Yeah. One of them for a pretty legit festival called Circus Mexicus, which was, you know, you guys were talking about rules, band rules. Yeah. I think there was, oh, that was a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you the most important Massey Ferguson band rule is no bottles of tequila on stage. Fair enough. <laughs> I feel like that I mean, was that made seems... a rule for a reason. Yeah. So what is the story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we played Circus Mexicus. It was in Puerto Penasco, Mexico. We played with this group, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. They were a band called The Refreshments in the 90s. Oh, and, yeah. they, and they wrote the theme song for King of the Hill. That's mm-hmm. kind of their, huh. their that show. That's kind of their claim to fame. But they were like, will you guys come you know, open for us at Circus Mexicus, main stage slot, Saturday night. We're like, okay. They're like, fly into Phoenix. And we'll pick you up and drive you across the border. And, you know... And, and this whole thing and it was so we were having the best time and, and adam our guitar player was like you know what would be really cool man it's like if we bought a bottle of tequila and just had it on the stage and we did a big toast with everyone with a bottle of tequila and, <laughs> and then we just pass it into the crowd like, that's a great idea yeah. you know I, I was younger at the time although i still probably would do that um <laughs> but we it doesn't sound like a bad idea so, yeah. i mean <laughs> you know, and you know tequila's never gotten anyone in trouble. never no, no never never I mean. oh man and yeah exactly and so we took video of the show because it's probably one of the best shows we still have ever played there's probably like four or five thousand people in this fan field in puerto panasco mexico and we had a great show and like you know getting people to sing along and like hearing the applause like when you play in front of that many people, not that I've done it very often, I haven't done it yeah. near as much as I would like to. But you know, like Kyle Schutt, when he was talking mm-hmm. about playing in front of seventy thousand people on your yeah. podcast, yeah. yeah. Now this is not even close to that, but you kind of get that vibe of like you know when you finish and the crowd, like the eruption of the it takes sound. a while and the yeah. wave comes back. Yeah, at you. and it's it's like the most. I could see how people get intoxicated by yeah. that because it is the most like gratifying thing I've ever felt. But we taped the show. We watched it later on, and there's a scene where it's like, all right, everybody. Cheer. And like I pass the bottle into the crowd and everybody's like taking shots off of this bottle of Cazadores, passing it around and everyone's drinking. And I swear to God, it got, it went a ways. But the problem was, is it came back to the stage. (laughs) And as soon as it came back to the stage, I started drinking it, you know, and like I was playing and like I finished the set and I I think it was a great set. I mean, the last couple songs were probably a little bit sloppier than I would Mm -hmm. be, you know, proud of. But I just kept drinking that bottle of Cazadores and there wasn't all that much left. But when you're talking about a big bottle, it's a lot of tequila, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's probably like the most drunk I've ever been at a show and like barely remembering (laughs) anything by the end of the night. Then, you know, this guy, Jamie, who was the driver that got us across the border in the Roger Klein tour bus, I should say. Like I said, this is a big bottle of Casadores. He finished the bottle and then he fell off the stage. Oh, no. We found out a couple months later because we'd hung out with him and his wife and a few other people in that scene. We found later that after that night, him and his wife had gotten divorced. I don't know what else he did after he drank that tequila. But like, I I basically fell over in the sand. I was eating these uh, really killer tacos. Uh Uh-huh. And I just remember like having a bite of the taco and then kind of like losing my balance and falling <laughs> over. So after that experience, Circus Mexicus 2008, I believe was the year, there was a rule, a longstanding Massey mm-hmm. rule, still in effect, no tequila bottles on the stage. So you're the reason of the rule. I am, yeah. yeah. And Jamie too. I'd like to yeah. think Jamie had something yeah. to do with it. Poor Jamie. I don't know what happened to <laughs> oh him. but God. One of our van rules was never stop for gas you can't see the gas station from the highway. Oh, God, oh, that's I love a good, that. That's, that's a, a good call. Great one. Yeah. I think yeah. that's just smart in general. When it, you're is, on a road trip. it is. It is. I'm going to do a little bit, a okay. little story about story. how that actually that's helped me in my real life <laughs> okay. after I stopped touring. So, yeah. <laughs> the reason that's banned rules is because you only ever want to stop for gas, right? One of those little, like, 
islands of gas right, stations right. where you yeah. can see all the signs and it's like okay shell texaco chevron yeah. which one you just want it to be there convenient get right back on the freeway if you're ever stopping for gas at one of those places where you know you see the sign comes like gas next exit and then you get out the exit and it says gas two miles two miles but, uh, turn around get back on the fucking freeway yeah, exactly yeah. if it's two miles it's 20 yeah yes. there's that there's a, just yeah. some miles. wicked math there. And, so, and so the real reason that we didn't do it is because usually as you're taking that little two-mile detour, you're going into some weird town. Yeah. And it's oh, a yeah. small town. Yeah. They have advertisements on the freeway like, hey, come to our town. But you know what? They don't really want you. Know they don't they, want you. You know no. what they don't want is fucking scummy musicians in a big van stopping in their town. No question, nope. no question about so, that. So, yeah. And the speed limit's always 25. Uh, yeah, because cops are always you. ready. You've been yeah. driving 70 for four hours. So, do you get down so to like, 30? Do you think you're yeah. going slow enough? But yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> you got some backwoods cop ready to stop you if you're going like five miles over the limit. Mm -hmm. And no one at the gas station is used to anyone but the locals coming in. Right. And they know just, everybody in the town. Yeah. And it's just a bad situation. And like, even when you're following the sign to the gas station, you get to the town and there's no fucking gas station. Yeah. Like sometimes the yeah. gas station has gone out of business. Yeah. You right. And you're just like, fuck. The sign's been there for yeah. 10 years. <laughs> it feels like it's Route 66 yeah. where it's everything's kind of boarded up. It's just a dangerous situation. So <laughs> fast forward real quick. I'm almost done. No, no, no. <laughs> fast forward. I, yeah. My wife and I and the kid are doing a road trip in Washington. We're going out to stay at the beach for the weekend. She really has to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And we're driving through Washington. We're not even on like big freeways. We're like on our way to the coast. So we're sure. like around the Aberdeen area. Mm -hmm. um, she's like, oh, I really wow. have to go to the bathroom. And we're on the stretch of like a small interstate highway. And we're seeing signs for gas stations and restaurants, but I don't see anything from the yeah. freeway. And I take a moment to explain. It's like, okay. So we always had this rule where you never stop unless you can actually see the place you're going to from the highway. And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Follow the sign right now. And I was like, okay. And so I do it. Sure enough, get off the freeway. And we're going through this little like weird, windy, woodsy road. Yep. Taking way <laughs> in, in, Aber in Aberdeen. It's like it's around Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Hoquiam, possibly. Yeah. yeah some, it's I'm somewhere just, in there. God damn, um, I'm so and we, sorry. And we're just like <laughs> we're just like snaking through this little area and she's getting more and more anxious and frustrated. And then finally we see a gas station and I'm like, okay, and we'll go there. And she's like, Yep, stop right now. And so stop the car. She runs in, she runs right back out, and she's like, They don't have bathrooms, they have a porta potty. She like points over to the porta potty and uh my wife has not done 10 years of touring. Oh, like so I have. the porta potty is stop, a little scary. Stopping like, at a porta potty at a weird gas station. <laughs> She's like just full of anxiety. And yeah, I mean, there's no zinger to the story no. <laughs> other than it's like, like, it's like, that's how, how does it translate to your regular life? And it's like, that's exactly it. You come back to that existential question of like, who would do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, that is your life when you're touring. It's yeah. like the most basic functions food, water sanitation become uh -huh. like arduous tasks yes you know you want just all you want is like a glass of water but they're like hey man here's a pint you know have a beer <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah yeah well I can i have a water beer. and they're like water jugs over there like, <laughs> come on i'm in the band don't make me drink this fucking shit it's that like, you poured out of that it's probably toilet water i don't, I don't know, know around a garden hose you just want all you want is can like, i have I, some ice i just come want on. a little food yeah. no we don't have food here's another beer you know yeah, like, yeah. all right you know and yeah. and that's exactly what i love about this podcast too is like how does that inform the rest of your life and oh, it, yeah. it, it is i think about that so much at the time where the, some of the hardest moments of my life have been touring 
Uh -huh. mm -hmm. did that to yourself, though. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you put true. yourself in that situation. That's true. that's true. But now you know how to get out of those things. Yeah, you know? and I mean, just like the going for long periods with no sleep, I think that'll help you if you have kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah, um, sure. I think, you know, just being really uncomfortable for long periods of time. I mean, if you Learning how to sleep in a car. Learning how to I I can sleep so well in a car. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, so here's the thing. I don't sleep well in a car. But that meant that, and this is like, this wasn't awesome, but uh, because I have a really hard time sleeping in a car, I was usually the night driver. There's always the night driver. So, but That was Zach in my band. Actually, yeah, Daryl, if you're listening to this, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you saved my life. <laughs> you, type. Um, but really, though, that it's actually super helpful if you're in a touring band to have someone who won't fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I would true, do, true. in those rare situations, which were awful, where you had to do night driving, like I could do the all-night drive and not kill everyone. And then after a couple tours, when everyone else sort of realizes like, oh, we're totally safe when John is driving at yeah. night, they can sleep, which means when it's morning time and they wake up, I can try and pass yeah. the fuck out. And the, yeah. But when, you're, drive, when right? you're sleeping in the, and we would always have the bed in the back of the van, which uh -huh. was always the most comfortable place to sleep. But if I was tired and I was going to drive or just got off and then it was either Zach or Brent, but one of them had a little bit of a sway going on and I'd always be like, against the window and wake up you know and it <laughs> fucking kill me but yeah no zach was good at driving at night his uh his night vision wasn't that strong but once it got dark he could like totally roll i did a lot of night driving too because at the time i was having a lot of back problems and i would just take a percocet and just which keeps me up i know this is going to sound weird to people i was gonna say jeff but but <laughs> i would actually like zach he tells the story all the time and he would be like well you told me once you know you just gonna take a pill and you can totally do it and we didn't believe you and he stayed up with me uh -huh. and i will take like a vicodin and i will drive for four hours solid right it, like, it, wow. he's like you, i'll take a pill he's thinking it's like a you know like like it, those truck stops you get truck like a speed. rocket chocolate yeah. or trucker <laughs> but speed that stuff or... doesn't but speed will put me to sleep though but right like, right but opiates Whoa. like you know like a like a vicodin or a percocet That'll keep me going three, four hours. Huh. You know what I mean? I'll just like, and I'll have I hate God on or something. It seems very mesmerizing. And then, you know, someone in the back would be, hey, man, can we go to something a little more mellow? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like 3.30 in the morning yeah. or 4 in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, this, this goes back to you guys have done a lot of touring in the U.S., which I have too. And it's like after touring in Europe and a few other places, I mean, I guess I can't say this for Australia necessarily, but the U.S. is just so much land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and on one hand, I'm really thrilled to go to places that I've never been to before. I'm excited that I've had the opportunity to have gone to some weird places off the beaten track. But to be honest with you, it's like there is not a lot between the major cities, you know? <laughs> no. and Especially not when you get into the Midwest or the Southwest. Exactly. And you know, what I was going to say about your story too is like there's a great Sean Penn movie that came out like 15 years ago called U-Turn. Oh, I love oh, yeah. U-Turn. It's so, because like it is the most musician movie that has nothing to do with music that yeah. you ever heard. It's like... He gets stuck in this town. His car breaks down. He's like, ends up in this weird situation where he's like sleeping with this girl that maybe is married to her father. There's like, <laughs> it's the most messed up movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And I was just like, why does this seem familiar? <laughs> and I think it was from the touring that I was doing at the time, because at that time I was doing a lot more of the U.S. thing, particularly the I-5 corridor, you know, down to California and back. We know the West Coast. You know, we know we're fairly, you know, liberal, left-wing. You yeah. kind of have this association of yeah. the West Coast. Everybody in America has an association with the West Coast that everything is like Portlandia. Yeah. But that is not true. <laughs> You get yeah. out of any of the major cities and you get into these situations where you go to a town where you might as well be an alien. You might as yeah. well be the clash it's from true. 1979. Yep. Right. 
you are that weird. You know, I probably know Andrew McKegg. Yeah. You know, we did a show with him in Snoqualmie, this thing at this bar. It was called Finnapalooza. Uh, <laughs> the, the event was, yeah. it was at Finity's, it was like an Irish pub in Snoqualmie, and maybe the only cool place in Snoqualmie. But we did it with, you know, Andrew McKegg and his band Hard Roller. And him and I took a walk before the gig, and we were going to like just to go to this grocery store to get some food or whatever. And, and he was like, man, people around here, they, you know, they look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. And he's like, I'm not a weirdo, I'm a dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, you know, he had a leather jacket on yeah, and, uh, and like, just kind of didn't fit the mold of what someone from Snoqualmie would yeah. look like. And every little town has that little pocket. You know, yeah. Jeff is from Squim. I'm from Marysville. I don't know where you're from, but like there's always those archetypes that's like that's what people are used to. And yeah. if you break that archetype in some of these small towns, depending on the town, it could end up U-turn for you. You might be Sean Penn. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? Yep. I once made a baby cry. <laughs> <laughs> In Kansas. On site? No. God, this is uh, good. Yes. This, I got to hear this. So, you know, Bloodhag, we're all nerds. I was the weirdest looking one, but we all still all wore black and we had hoodies. And But who was more well-read than Bloodhag? But that's Nobody. So yeah. then we were coming through Kansas and we had to go just through Kansas. It's the one stop. We're like, well, this is it. This is the town because it's the only place we can stop. There's like a grain elevator, an AGA, and a freaking travel lodge. Or something. Mm-hmm. So we're staying at the travel lodge. And we go to the store. We're getting provisions. Right. You know? right, right. So we get all the provisions and we got our little cart. And there's this cart in front of me. And there's this woman with her little baby. And you know how the baby faces backwards, you know, in the cart? Yeah, yeah. Right. So if the you... baby's looking at me and the baby's fine. Like to a baby, people don't, might not know what I look like, but I'm like a bear with metal in my face. So I look <laughs> right, like right, fuzzy right. and shiny. And like most babies go, ooh, what's that warm guy over there? You know, they don't think, oh, that punk rocker is an evil human being, probably a Satanist. Yeah. Right. But her mom, who was looking at the magazines, she turned around and went like, <gasps> and that your baby just started crying right at me, like right at me. Her baby's like, Wah! my mom doesn't like you, you know, and I was just I just laughed at all three guys behind me just all started laughing. Uh-huh. <laughs> just made this baby cry. And then we go back to the place, say the night and in the morning, Jake, who's you know, arguably the most normal of us looking, you know, he's, he's in there, he's making the free, he gets up early. Right, so he's right. making the free, like, there's always uh, one of those guys. In the yeah. Band, he's the, the one. Guy. He's that, ugh, you know, <laughs> fucking dude, we got another hour <laughs> to sleep. Guy. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. He's yeah. got the TV on, you know? And, uh, <laughs> no, but he was up uh, making waffles at the waffle station and uh-huh. they, he heard the ladies talking about us and they were like, yeah, what's the deal with those guys? And, and they were like, I don't know. Did you see the guy with the stuff in his face? He looked kind of freaky. That's what they said. That's what they said. Kind of freaky. That's what, that's, what, that's what they said about me. So that was my version of middle of nowhere, Kansas. Oh, God. Do you, do you remember the name of the town? I, as far as I'm concerned, the town has no name. <laughs> that was like a spaghetti western. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, we're I, just crawling in. We're these dirty fuckers in fucking black, you know? Like, And actually, I loved this so much. And, and like, you know, South by Southwest, big international festival in Austin, Texas, that happens every year around March. You know, we've done it a few times, like four four times. And and, and that's that's great. 2009 was the first time we did it. And that was best because it still hadn't quite gotten super corporate. Yeah, it's right on the edge there. We went to, I think it was called Ironwood Barbecue. And we sat down and they seated us. We sat right next to this five-piece Japanese punk band. Sure. All the guys had like, you know, like when they get the egg whites to oh, make yeah, the, the dreadlocks. The charge oh, pillage awesome. bikes. Like, yeah. I've never seen that's so hardcore. many piercings. The mohawk was way higher than anything I was expecting. <laughs> I love I mean, Japanese. They, like, yeah, it man. was the most awesome too. thing I've ever seen. But, you know, like, you think about those guys. If they had gone out of Austin. 10 miles in 10 any miles. direction. 20. Yeah. I mean, just like, not only are they Japanese, 
but they're punks yeah. in Texas. Yeah. That was my thought when I'm sitting next to these guys, and none of them spoke a word of English. I think they had a manager that kind yeah. of spoke broken English. Sure. I struck up a conversation with him, and we tried to figure out where they were playing. They had a few showcases, and I never did get to see him, which is a big regret of mine. But the balls it took to go from... <laughs> You know, wherever you're from, you know, yeah. maybe you're from Kobe or you're from Tokyo or from someplace to fly to Austin to do all that paperwork. And this is going back to what we talked about earlier, which is just like you got an opportunity. Well, mm -hmm. are you going to do it for so many international musicians coming here is really, really tough. Mm -hmm. you know, Especially, Danny, it's gotten worse. It's gotten way yeah. worse. Yeah. And, and, you know, Danny Again. Nichols, who we played with in Bedford at that metal club, you know, I had to kind of help be part of, like, her sponsorship program. Uh -huh. I had to write a letter that she included in her package to get a U.S. work visa, which was uh -huh. way harder than I could have imagined. Yeah. So for any of these guys coming to these festivals, to these shows from out of the country, and, and I think it's such a shame because even Canada has loosened oh, really, up their But it's hard to get Canadian yeah, bands exactly. down here now. Yeah, that's right. You know, they'll just sneak in. They'll go in one at a time. Yeah. No instruments. They'll be borrowing their buddies' guitars. That's how bad it's. Going. I got a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name just in case you know that <laughs> you know the U.S. Department of Homeland Security is really into your guys' podcast, which I'm, I'm sure, sure is. Yeah, they, well, of it's course. in the internet, so okay, they know we'll it. Of course, you know we'll they know everything. Yeah. But as long any, as as long as they listen, give us five stars, yeah, give us five stars. <laughs> Thank the you, NSA. Mr. Trump. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> he had a 13 show tour with a band that I won't name because, but they're really very very big in the Americana mm -hmm. world. They recently played the Neptune. I'll tell you after this podcast is done taping. Sure. He snuck in in uh, JFK, and they were like, what are you doing? He's like, visiting a friend. And they kind of kept pressing him and pressing him. And finally, he got past them and then went to, and did the entire tour. But think about the weight of that conversation. Oh, yeah. You get You're into just the, like you know. a guy from Canada trying to come play guitar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes yeah. down to. This guy You're was not... from the UK. Oh, from but the like, UK. He so came from the yeah, UK. So... He did that entire trip. yeah. And it's all hinging on one conversation. What do you say? Do you say, I'm a musician, but I'm not playing shows? Or Don't say you're a musician. Never say <laughs> you that. You say, I'm on vacation. I'm visiting never. friends. Europe has this thing, and I'm trying to remember the name of the agreement. It's got like a person's name. It's like an acronym, blanking on it. But there's this new agreement in Europe now where you could just basically go over and play for a certain amount of time, and you don't have to report it. You don't need a visa. That's great. Um, when we take a break or You whatever, hear that, I'll... Brexit? Now we're not going to be able to go to you, but we're yeah, going to be able exactly. to go to Estonia. But, yeah, but because of that whole agreement of the, the European Union, mm -hmm. you can go and play in Europe with very little problems at all. We toured Spain in March. We went to the guy and we were like, hey, we're playing some shows. He was like, oh, that's great. What's your band called? And then we walked right through. And that has never happened before. Oh, man, even, that's beautiful. No matter what, even in the UK with visas, because we've gone over legit all four mm -hmm. times, they still sweated you a little bit. Uh, go yeah. in that side uh -huh. room. You know, there's always a side room. Oh, I feel like Europe is a little more cool about that because of the geographical situation they have there, where they have multiple countries which are all right up against each other. Yeah, You do have to cross borders. Sometimes the border crossings are very hairy. Like yeah. if you're going into Italy, side note, story for a future podcast. <laughs> um, wait, wait, wait. You can't the Italians, hanging like that. Italians can be pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Um, Believe but yeah. it or not, Canadians can too, as oh, I yeah. found out in 2010. Yeah, but, I think yeah. the U.S. and Canada are not the same as like mainland Europe, where you yeah. have all these countries that are just like next to each other. They've been next to each other for centuries. They've been right. dealing with... Yeah border politics forever right and they're just like Baggage. generally like i wouldn't say they're cool about it but they're just humans about yeah. it right whereas like flying into the uk yeah. or not flying learning into anything the US. new about getting from one they've done it yeah. they've done it yeah hundreds forever. of th thousands of years yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Whereas like the countries that are surrounded by ocean t generally typically tend to be a little bit more hardcore. Yeah. yeah. So I'll turn it around to you guys. You know, this is your podcast. You know, I, I talked about some of the early touring that I did as being some of the most meaningful, but like, what was the most meaningful tour you've ever done? Oh man, that's a good question. Like, I mean, it's in terms of like when now, now, I mean, here you are, here I am, here's Jeff, you know, it's 2019. We've been doing this for God knows how long and how have we done it for this long? I don't know. But like, when you look back on it, it was like, what is that feeling that you get when you think about that particular tour and why, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, now. The hardest tour I was ever on was the first time Bloodhag decided to do a U.S. tour and tour libraries. So we were playing so at every major <laughs> city. That. We were playing a library. I, I don't mean to, to cut in, but like when I met you, I was like, well, what kind of music do you do, man? And you're like, yeah. most people were like, oh, you know, we're rock or whatever. You're like, we're Northwest sci-fi geek core. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> where do you even go with that? That's oh. the best answer anyone has ever said. Like, and yep. sorry, go ahead. We had go. to figure that out. Yeah, you know? I'd we love had, that. Because we had to had to figure out a way to explain ourselves. The first time I saw you in concert, you threw a book at me. Of course we I did. I think I still have it. I hope so. That's yeah. what I want to hear from every It was like the person. oldest sci-fi book. It was falling apart yeah. at the seams. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it probably But sucked. I was at the rendezvous, uh -huh. and you threw a book at me. Of course and you the, did. And, and there was like, rah, boom, and a book <laughs> hit me in the face. It was amazing. <laughs> Sorry, continue. That's, that's okay. And it was also the most grueling tour. We'd have to roll into town by one or two, then load in, and this goes back to what John was saying about when you walk into a place that is not supposed to have music. We'll try walking into a fucking library where the only person that knows that you're coming is one librarian. And maybe, usually the other librarians are actually really excited. Right, because right, right, you know what right. librarians get excited about? Bands who throw books and talk about oh, God, reading. Yeah, who wouldn't? Yeah. So there's only been two of us. So, well, <laughs> two, bands that, band? two bands that throw books, that's Striper, Striper Through Bibles. And uh, <laughs> the other band that played libraries a lot was uh, Harry and the Potters. And they, they picked it up after us. Okay. Like they kind of picked up the torch and kept going okay, with it. Okay. Which, and Harry and the Potters, that. like they were so much more mellow than us. I mean, we would walk yeah. in, we would break down to half stacks because we didn't want to kill people, but right, we were right, still right. definitely, definitely the loudest thing that's ever been in a library. And if we ever play again, <laughs> I'm getting Guinness Book of World Records out. I'm getting extra amps, and yes, we're going to be the loudest yes. thing that was ever in a library. I love that. Yeah. I want to be part of that. But we'd show up to these places, and we'd, okay, so now we're playing a show. Okay, so now it's four, and we've played to 12 kids, or maybe 30. Maybe, you know, maybe it's an awesome show. Maybe it's not. Uh, the librarians are all really nice, and they might feed us and everything, and then we got to hightail it. And then we're there really early for the other show. So it's just, you know, when you show up at five and the club doesn't even open till six and then you're not even really allowed to load in till seven, right, you know, right. that sort of thing. And the, the sound man doesn't get there till Yeah, 8, so that 15. was every night, every fucking night. We played, um, I don't know what the number was, but the number was very high. It was like 26 shows in 17 days. It was like some oh, number geez. like that where it's yeah. like it's like an extra third proportion. Right, it's like when someone says, go out there and give 110%. You guys gave yeah. like 150% we if we're so looking tired. at those fractions. But when you come back and you see like, we got all sorts of acclaim from that. Like it just was like the greatest thing. We'd come back. It was the kind of thing which has never happened to me since where we're in Chicago and we have a day off and during that day, Jake and I would take calls and we would do interviews for radio shows on the other parts of the country. <laughs> That's so cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, now yeah, we got yeah. Jake and Jeff from blah, blah, blah. Or I'd call up and like, oh, the Guardian's calling me. And Jake's yeah. like, you do it this time, dude. Yeah. Fine. You know? But that's it. They're like, they always talk about the story. You know, you know, they're like, what's the story of this mm -hmm. band? And like, I, well, what we I were loved the about sell. it. Like, it's so cool. And like, the fact that however many years later, it's like 15 years later, and I'm like, those guys threw a book yeah. and it hit me in the face, you know? Well, you like, know I'm still stoked about writers, it. Writers, what does a person who writes about rock want to write about? 
a band who writes about books. You know, I mean, yeah, like right, that's right, it, it could right, be right. any kind of yeah, books. We could be right, romance right. novels. It wouldn't matter. Like it would have sold to them. It was easy sell for press at yeah. that point, which was cool. But I did do a lot of interviews, video, phone. You know, like I got to the point where I'm not scared. You can put a mic in my face. You can put a camera in my face. I don't even give a fuck anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and before Blood Hex started, I was like, ah, you know, like all scared. Well, like, <laughs> you know, you wonder about that with like the guys that do this all the time. You know, do you just phone it in at some point? You know, it might be Rolling Stone. It's all road. It's all like, road answers. Yeah, ro- like exactly, yeah. like a, like a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you know, give 110. percent We'll take it one game at a time. Mm-hmm. You know what? But that's in, not in what your brain. Happens. You know, yeah. I heard a Paul McCartney interview on KXP. This is from a while back, and he was like, "Was that when he called in to Kevin?" He called Cole? in, and he was talking God, about that was vegetarianism. Great, that's right. I and it was like super interesting, except for those times when you could tell Paul McCartney was like filing his nails, <laughs> right? Just, just like, oh no, he's been vegetarian for very long. You know, like yeah, he's, he's, ta- like, he's talking about meat free Mondays. Yeah, he's just like, and, oh, yeah, you know, if we yeah. do this, whatever. Blah, 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 I'm gonna call San Francisco next. You know, yeah, he's, <laughs> he could I hear remember, that in his voice. I was driving on i5 and i heard that interview and i I remember that thinking that same thing which is just like this guy's a pro yeah he's a pro he's He's been doing it it. that was a fucking fun time though but it was grueling and when we got back we actually paid our rent ah it's the best only time that's ever that's a beautiful thing that's like that is the story that's what you want like for me it's like when we've gotten back from these tours i haven't been totally broke yeah like if you break even if you break even, you're not spending your own money. Exactly. And that's, even that's, if you pay for your plane tickets. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. You make Breaking it back. Even. You break even. You sell some merch. If people do that anymore, now it's all t-shirts. It's not CDs anymore. Unless you're in the UK where like 60-year-olds still buy CDs. Oh, they buy CDs. <laughs> Thank that's God right. for those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. But like, you you know, you get in that that space where you're like, I only lost, <laughs> lost $200 on yeah. this. You got something. You got something queued up. I, I feel it. Uh, well, yeah, I've had some time to think about it. Um, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> first tour I ever went on was fucking magical in many ways and like validating in many ways. The thing we talk a lot about on the show yeah. is that like that feeling you have of like, I think I want to do this. feels good to play. It feels good to perform. Mm-hmm. And then you go on your first tour and it's just like, yeah, it Real, all kind of You realize it's, it's, that's it. That's yeah, what, like that's, that's what you want to play in front of right. people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the first tour was super special in that way. But I think the one that actually answers your question the best is maybe the second U.S. tour that Akimbo ever did. And this was a different type of validation. This was a validation that... So, was Nat in that band? Yeah. So yeah. God, yeah. God, Nat, yeah. Nat, Nat was an awesome band. Yeah, Nat, yeah, and yeah. I, Nat and I were like best buds since high school. Like when we started touring, we knew it was all we wanted to do. And we had a really hard time finding a regular like third member of the band who could keep it going mm-hmm. with us and uh we had burke for a long time he's a seattle musician he played in the band a lot and he couldn't do all the touring that we could and there was this one time where like we had a u.s tour booked burke couldn't make it we were kind of like we'd just done like two weeks on the west coast with this awesome band from san diego called the plot to blow up the eiffel tower forgot about that and, nice, nice band. and yeah. nat and their guitar player chuck had really hit it off and Nat just kind of floated it to me like hey should we see if chuck can play guitar with us on this tour and it was the first time we'd tried anything like this and they always it, had and so it many just, different guitar players. it was just yeah, kind of yeah yeah it's kind of like a weird idea and there's like a lot of stress associated with that like oh all right can so you really we, do this yeah we know the guy but do we mm. really know him like being on tour is, is kind of like living with somebody in the <laughs> shittiest apartment you it can is. possibly it imagine <laughs> it really tests personalities in a lot of way oh yeah like, it does. Uh, like we like this guy but man can we hang with him for four weeks four and a half weeks 
And then also, he's a good guitar player in the plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower, but does he know how to play our shit? Yeah. And right, right, right. he lives in San Diego. And he's got to learn your We shit. can't even practice with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we call him up, and he was down. And we're just like, fuck it. Okay, let's do it. And so he spent a couple weeks where he and Burke would get on the phone and talk to each other over the phone and figure out guitar parts. And we sent him, like, I think it was like you a nine. sent him a set list of, like, a track a nine, that he already had recorded. Or I burned a nine-song yes, CDR. You did. Burned a CDR. CDR. Mailed oh, it man. to Chuck. No one has said that on <laughs> yeah. a podcast. Maybe ever. <laughs> nice work. Sent it via USPS. Yeah. Through the mail to Chuck <laughs> for him to play along to. Awesome, man. Um, and then the last sort of like little linchpin of us actually being able to do this kind of bullshit was that Akimbo was a really loud band. And then I played bass and I had a huge bass amp that mm -hmm. was like really distorted. And so we could play sets where it was just bass and drums and vocals. Yeah. And it was like not the same, but a little bit different and like yeah. cooler I mean, in some ways. Off, yeah, but... we could totally pull it off. Yeah. So we toured down the West Coast as a two-piece. Met Chuck in San Diego, practiced twice in his garage, and then toured the U.S. with him. Holy moly. Oh, that's amazing. And it went fine. Yeah. It was See, like. that's why I never saw him playing your band. Yeah. And it was. And it <laughs> because was, he was <laughs> on every other show that I saw. Yeah. But there, <laughs> that I didn't see. I mean. There's something I love about that, which is just the, you know, there was a movement in art. You know, there's been many movements in art, but like the idea of like temporary art, the idea of like, you, you know, you put up an installation, then you destroy it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's like catch and release. Uh -huh. You know, and that's what you did on that tour. Is, is that guy going to play with you forever? No. But for this moment, perfect. You yeah. know, and, and it's beautiful in its own thing. And I only know Nat because I, I sat in for a little while with Head Like a Kite, which oh, is like cool. an electronic yeah, yeah. group, yeah, electronica yeah. group. And yeah. like, all world. Totally. And, you know, Dave and I are kind of pals. I was in this group Ocean Wires for a little while. I was their original bass player, but they're still playing now. But it was like me and Dave and Aaron from Gibraltar mm -hmm. and Jeff Bars from a couple other groups. What was cool about that band is we always talked about that idea of catch and release, which mm -hmm. is just like, you know, you get these people together for this particular time. You know, it's like two paths running parallel for a time, sure. you know, and it, it might only be a very short time, yeah. but it, you know, you are together in, in that period. And with Head Like a Kite, I started off in that band wearing the panda suit. Uh, <laughs> I remember Nat, that yeah. panda suit. And Nat was well, playing it's all to the- coming back. Yeah, exactly. And Nat was playing to the drum track. Yeah, the rhythm yeah. tracks. So they, they the rhythm there. tracks yeah. and he'd be up on it. But like, mm -hmm. we had some, yeah, we had some fun. With all of that stuff, I, I think some of my most meaningful experiences have been like that idea of running parallel with someone for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, we had this pedal steel player, you know, going into Americana. That's the, the yeah. least metal thing I've yeah. ever said tonight. <laughs> pedal steel player, this guy, Jay Cardong, who's, you know, plays with Sunvolt, Terra hey, A Cahoon, good pedal a lot steel player is hard to find. Yeah. And, That's and a like, real thing. Like he was really close to the other guys in the band because he went to Wazoo, you know, and if you oh, go okay. to Wazoo, you're friends with other guys that go to wazoo yeah. and like people <laughs> yeah. like me you hate me because yeah. i didn't go to wazoo right <laughs> but i know that that's a thing too. we got this we got this um festival in ballard called reverb fest and oh, they yeah, were like you know vote that. for yeah. your favorite ballard band and somehow we got voted as the favorite ballard band and they were like the winning band will get to have a slot at iceland airwaves festival that's cool in reykjavik mm -hmm. you know this is 2010 so i mean it's going back like eight or nine years nine years yeah nine years now jeez uh, <laughs> but Jay was with us at the time. He was like a member of the band at that point. And that, you know, if, if I'm asked, answering my own question, that was one of the best experiences of my life. What was great about Iceland Airwaves is that you were either dark electronica uh -huh. or metal. Yeah. Or Massey Ferguson. <laughs> right. Those really? are the only options. Really? Yeah. There's a bunch of metal bands there. 
it is the most metal place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> really? Yeah. And at least See, at that point, I always point, think you know, of it as just being like weird electronica, Fultronica. Yes. That, you know, that, 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 <laughs> that's true. That is true. There's a lot of that. And like the headliner the year we played was Robin, R-O-B-Y-N. Oh, like yeah. a Swedish oh, pop yeah. star. One of my Great. favorite. Yeah. One of and my favorite what's, people ever. What's funny is like to get into the festival, you know, like my wife wanted to go too. We just, yeah, we'd did. just been married. <laughs> yeah. We'd just been married and she'd never heard of Robin before, but like I got her on the press list. Uh-huh. And so the band was like, oh, you know, we want to go see the headlining show. And they were like, you guys can't get in. You know, we played a show at a place called Sodoma, which in Icelandic translates to Sodom. Okay. That was the place we played. It was Sodoma. like, it was like um metal band, metal band, metal band, us. Metal band, metal band, metal band. Yeah. And so they looked at us like we were like a mariachi group. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. these guys keeping the tradition alive, uh, you know, of like weird folk they music. They were probably like, <laughs> not bad. Not bad. But yeah. They, you, know? Okay, you know, for traditional yes, American music. Playing grandpa's you know, guitars. Old people music, you know. But my wife, she was on the press list. And so, so any, she, she could get into go. anything. Yeah. So she was backstage with Robin while me and the guys are trying to get into the show, you know, and I was just like, Next time we see her, I'm gonna bug her about yeah, that. Yeah, that's awesome. And of course, she's like, and was like, Robin, she's she's pretty good. And I was like, that's great. And she was like, but like, let's go to that one bar down on the bay with the lobster bisque. I'm like, you got backstage with Robin, yeah. just stay there. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but you know, it's 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 like touring's great for this. But so often you don't realize the moment that you're in. You mm, know, it's not till later. Exactly, yeah. and you don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I think all of us, in, in some ways, touring musicians, especially touring musicians, are, are kind of like gluttons for punishment. I got a lot of people in my family that are military, and, and it's like they miss the military. They miss that. You know, and they it's miss the, same the camaraderie. Kind of idea. And, I, and, I, and like, yeah. we are definitely not military material. None of us. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I might drop down and give you ten push-ups or something, but that's about as far as it goes. There is a certain camaraderie. That there that it's you know i read that book anthony swafford about you know jarhead you know, uh-huh. if read that yeah. book he talks about the suck and they call like the marines the suck and it's like as with other musicians it's like the suck oh man we stayed in milton Keynes. remember that hotel with no windows yeah. and you had to sleep in that place and you know and that's the shit you always you, talk about exactly and, and i don't know what it is about it like are we masochists or something for touring i don't know but uh those are like the best experiences of my life. So you bring up an interesting point and I'm going to go to a place and I'll bring it back around. But so like I work in video game design and so I do spend a certain amount of time thinking about psychology and how people are motivated to do something. Right, right. Like you're making a game, you can make it be a thing and what you're trying to do is make it fun. Intrinsically fun for someone to pick it up and try it and then keep trying it, right? Sure. So like yeah, what are the it's gotta be what like are the mechanics that. you can put in place to tap into that psychology that makes right. someone want to do a thing? Right, right. And so I think, you know, when I think about the lifestyle of a person who's on tour, there is so much anticipation and expectation every day. Yeah. So every day you wake up and you have a goal that you need to hit, which is mm-hmm. get to the show and play the show. Yeah, you got to rock the show. The show might be awful and it might be awesome. So you kind of have like this little like mini super specialized lottery ticket just for you <laughs> every day every single day <laughs> you're going to cash it in at the end of that day and so there's a bunch of work that goes into getting there you're making progress towards a goal which is intrinsically super satisfying mm-hmm. to right, humans right 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 um get there and it might be great and it might be awful and even if it's awful you got another ticket the next day <laughs> right, right right so psychologically i think that's actually like really satisfying just to humans and, that, and that's a that's great. A that's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Is that the most philosophical you guys have gotten on this podcast? Because that, be. that, so like, that was yeah. a moment. So that was yeah, a moment definitely. right there. Like I, I just I kind feel of enlightened like, a little bit. I kind of <laughs> thought about my own my own path there. But like there's <laughs> and in some ways it's so simple. It's so 
beautifully simple. Mm. This year, 2019, I've been on tour for as long as I've ever been on tour, which to some people is not that much, but maybe somewhere around eight weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's long. That's yes. long enough yeah. for me. Yeah. Man. And I mean, yeah. like, it's a long time. Like, exactly. It's a really long time and so addictively simple. It's like you wake up, you got to get to the gig, you get to sound check, you get two hours to get some food, and then you go play the show or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's yep. like, I can see why the military is so attractive in that way because it's laid out for you. You know, sure. with, yeah, with, with you my... know what's going to happen. Right. You got to worry about it. I got a wife. I have two kids, mm-hmm. and that's only a recent development. My kids aren't all that old, but it's like everything is kind of up to me, you know, and you yeah. have to roll with the punches. Whereas, like, when you're on tour, the, a lot of factors are out of your hands. It's like, you know, are people coming to the show? I don't know. Did the promoter do his job yeah did we get there on time i don't know did the driver get us there yeah. you know so much of it is out of your hands you know and it's so simple and so beautiful in that way but it's so difficult at the same time so it, it kind of mirrors everything else in your life the challenges are different every day right like you said there's a very simple set of things i have to do every day but because you're in a different town that you don't know every single time or maybe you know you're touring for a while towns that you've been to before and you you start to build familiarity with you know different venues different personalities different types of challenges that get in the way of meeting those goals continues to make it interesting i want to go somewhere you we don't have to go there if you don't want to so you mentioned you have kids yes 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 i don't tour anymore i stopped for my career but i'm a relatively new father i have a four-year-old I yeah, probably yeah, would have I probably would have stopped by my own choice after yeah. having a kid. What's it like having children and being out on the road? First thing I got to say is I got to give a lot of love to somebody that Jeff knows very well, which is my wife, Cindy. She's only known me as a musician. So this mm-hmm. is like a big part of our dynamic is she knows that I'm a musician and that's yeah. what I do. It's really challenging with two kids in particular. With one, I think it, it might be a little bit easier. I, I don't really know because I, I mean, we had one kid and then a couple years later, we had another kid. Yeah. One of the most meaningful trips I've ever had was this last September. I got a seven-year-old and I took him on tour with me down to California, Northern California. We did a solo tour and did some radio dates and Uh played a couple shows and I brought him with me. And that's one of the most meaningful things that I've done just because he's old enough now to kind of understand it. Oh, he'll remember that for the rest of his life. Totally. And 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 that was such a beautiful thing. And it wasn't without its challenges. (laughs) Um, You know, and, and, you know, just... Yeah. You you will go shit in that truck stop. Yeah. (laughs) There was so much of that. There's so many things I can think of. There's so much of that. That is so You're going to eat at Carl's Jr. We we woke up and... (laughs) (laughs) We woke up and like, we woke up in Santa Cruz and I had to get to a radio interview up in Santa Rosa, which uh, I like, you know, if you're looking at the map, it's like two and a half hours or something. Yeah, but this yeah. is California. This is yeah. Northern California on a Monday because, of course, you got to be at the radio station at like 11 a.m. on a Monday. Totally. So we got up at 645 and he was like, why are we up right now? And I was yeah. like, because I got to get to this radio interview. He's like, why would anyone do this? You know, Good question, son. That was his question. I was like, son, your existential question is, uh, you know, shared by many people. But uh, we drove because I, I knew that how bad the traffic would be and took us about three and a half hours to get up there. Pulled in about like 1030. Mm-hmm. I played a set on these non-com stations, which are huge supporters of the music that we all do, you know, yeah. which is like non-commercial yeah. radio. Depending on the show, whatever time the show is, you go and you make that happen yeah. because it's yeah. like those DJs are the lifeblood of what we do. Yeah, they, they don't want one's playing your records exactly that's exactly <laughs> well, right and the, a lot of times they're the ones that are really big fans of what you're doing they are and, you know yeah and when you're on tour you have one job 
which is get to the thing and do your job, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And if they tell you be here at 11 a.m. when you have a six-hour drive, like you got to be there at 11 a.m. Just figure out a way to make it. Happen. Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. early interviews. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> and we've all done those interviews before. Like the old band I was talking about at the beginning of the show, we we had a show in like Beaumont, Texas, and then we had to get to Chattanooga, Tennessee the next morning at like 10 a.m. So we uh, drove all night. Thank God for Daryl. Daryl, if you're listening, thank you again. Daryl. Because there's always Daryl. There's always a Daryl in your He's band. He's the night driver. Yeah. And that'd be a great song. Night, night driver. Night driver. Oh, that's, that's got a good ring to it. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Run you with it. You're Run welcome. It. You're welcome. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> night driver. It's got a ring to it. There's, some, there's something going on with it. In terms of having kids and, and doing that whole thing, I why would you do this? Yeah. You know, and that's the question. I think this podcast has a lot to do with that whole thing. That's a like, that's why, a that's a crux question you, right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. Why would you do it? And I I think in some ways for me it's like I don't know a whole lot better. I played my first show in Lake Stevens, yeah. uh, Washington. <laughs> lovely place this time of year it's actually not but it's actually um, not. yeah no <laughs> uh but i played that, like that was like 1993 or something and i was like 16 and i've been playing steady ever since i mean that's like that's a long time and whether it be bands that i'm proud of now or bands that i'm not proud sure. of now yeah. or bands that seem very antiquated yeah now i mean even just that i brought up the swing era yeah. in seattle yeah. it's just funny it's it just, a thing it was a thing and like people would be like ballroom dancing at our shows oh, yeah. and like that's weird man that's <laughs> awesome really weird but it, whether it was antiquated whether it was weird whether it was whatever it's something that i did and i guess i'm proud of kind of continuing that on and maybe the biggest struggle now is as a parent of young kids you're like you know what am i taking away from them in order to do what i'm doing yeah you know yeah. And, yeah. and that's a tough question i i don't you know yeah, they not... can handle a couple weeks without you i think so too they, <laughs> especially yeah, they handled, at an early age yeah they've handled a lot of weeks without me and I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And, you know, big love to my wife, also from Squim. Also from Squim. Uh, you know, Cindy Davis, now Anderson, who was the 100th Irrigation Festival queen. She was. Yeah. So it's important to point that out. And I, I think forgot that she was the Irrigation yeah. Festival queen. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 1996. Rules. So before we delve too deep into the fascinating topic of, of Squim, Squim Irrigation. Yeah. We may, um, maybe we won't side so, <laughs> I do want to ask, though, like I'm thinking about it from my perspective as a father and you've actually had this tremendous opportunity where you have, so your son is seven. I'm sure there's been multiple times for him where daddy's gone. This fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. And then you've had this moment now where you've taken him on tour. Have you circled back around with him? Has there been any sort of like reconciliation with him where he's like, oh, I kind of get what you do now. Like, is he old enough to sort of like connect with you a little I, bit on I, that? I think the radio station was the thing for him. He just uh -huh. thought that was the coolest thing. You know, awesome. they, they gave him the headphones and they let him go up to the microphone. He yeah, wasn't to, on the... To him, you're a rock star. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like being interviewed on the damn radio. That's so right. He's like, yeah. whoa, I thought my dad was kidding this whole time. Now he, <laughs> now he sees it, right? Yeah. And it's not just him's just sitting at home bored like wondering where you are well exactly and you know i caught an interview with jason isbell and he was because he's got a, a young kid or maybe a couple young kids but he was talking about how they're at that age where they actually think i'm cool yeah oh yeah you know? yeah and, and, then, like, and then it goes now, away this, and then this it may change this may uh -huh. change it comes you know? back again, and jeff eventually. jeff you're you know you're the you're i'm like there and a, back i'm on yeah, the other side exactly yeah. and, and <laughs> you know and your, your daughter is super cool blue sky yeah. is like one of the coolest people i know i've known her for a while you but have? it's like music has been a big part of her life yeah, too she because... grew up with a dad who was always in a band. And she was always the one that re that would reinforce Northwest Sci-Fi Geek Corps. Yeah, she, she <laughs> knew. Know? That's probably knew. why I know that term yeah. so well. She knew, you know? you know, what we were doing and why we were doing it. And that's because I drug her to every show I could and took her to see wildly inappropriate shows <laughs> when she was too young. Did she ever see Guar? 
Uh, I don't, I've been I don't know if I took her to see Guar, but I did Gwar. take her to go see Fang, which if you know anything about Fang, the guy went to jail for killing his girlfriend for a really long mm. time, and then he reformed the band. And I'm a huge fan, and I was hoping that maybe some of the original members were in the band. So we go to see Fang, and she's just like, oh my God, hiding behind me. you know. I feel like she did appreciate that now, though. Oh, she does. When she was 21, like just freshly 21, I Hate God played club that I work at. And so we got to like hang out Caroline's with like a great club, the man. gnarliest, great the gnarliest <laughs> band of all time. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. I mean, and we're like, woo! And they're like pocketing heroin and doing fucking fist bumps like of, of coke off people's hands. And uh-huh. she was just like back and all. And she's just like, yeah! But like, putting up with it you, you know, know yeah i mean like i don't know some of my best experiences were all ages shows that you oh, know yeah. like I, I was like at bumbershoot 93 and i, I mean, got too. to see there's like sky cries mary mm-hmm. and mud honey and I some dude elbowed me yeah. in the face you know and i was just like i'm gonna go to the pit i think i was like 16 or something i was like i'm gonna go into that pit maybe it was you who elbowed no, but, me in the face but check this out technically blue sky's first show was Sky Cries Mary in 1990 oh. at Bumpershoot while she was still inside her mother. Yeah. Oh, man. We man. went to go see Sky Cries Mary. Mm-hmm. Let's ask this question. Yes. I'd be happy to tell my story to start the question. When I was a kid, I was really into punk rock. I was into new wave. I was always into music. But then one day when I was a sophomore, this band comes into town and they were a hair metal band, but they were like not stripery. They weren't Christian, but they were so wholesome of a hair metal band that Squim let them play. So it was the, (laughs) see what I'm saying? So it was the first, it was the first live show I had ever seen in my life. I was maybe 14 going on 15. I hadn't seen any punk yet, but I knew, you know, I was really into punk. I was really into new wave, just kind of starting to get into metal. This hair band, which was like not my kind of music at all and never has been and never will be. And they got on stage and they started rocking. And as soon as I heard them, the gear, and I saw them play, there was like a lightning bolt in my fucking mind. And I went, that is something that I want to do. Like it was so, so it was like precognition, not what they're doing exactly, but what they're doing is my future. And I just, I saw it so fucking clearly, it hit me like a damn lightning bolt. And I didn't tell anybody because I didn't know how to explain that, you know, to your friends when yeah. you're a kid. Like, plus you think, well, how am I going to be like that? You know, I'm a kid. I can't buy the gear. You know, like I knew that I was going to be a musician mm-hmm. somehow by hook or by crook. I was going to be on stage and I was going to throw down and play in bands. So when did that idea ever hit you? I mean, obviously, all three of us are musicians who have played a lot. When did that idea throw down that you were like, hmm, I could, I could do this. This, this might be something I want to do. You know, the, the weirdest thing is that the beginning of it, the genesis of it was my mom was a singer in the church, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, whatever you want to say about church, whatever. But a lot of times there's music involved. And yeah. my mom was a singer in church, like a soloist in church. And she got up and sang a little bit. And I just remember having that feeling like, well, man, this is my mom. Like, if she could do that. And my mom's mm-hmm. a really good singer. But like, I was like, my mom can do that. I could, I, you know, I could do that. I sing a little bit or whatever. And, and when I was a kid, I did like two years of community theater I did like oliver twist at the everett oh, yeah? playhouse or Lisa, whatever can that, I have some exactly more? i had more. two i had two singing lines it was like you know food glorious food was the song uh-huh. and i sang marvelous and then fabulous <laughs> those are my two lines and that's not a lot but it like that kind of spawned the idea of being on stage mm-hmm. and i bring up that mud honey slash sky cries mary show because that was like the first major show I went to. And I, I don't know, I was like 15 or 16 at yeah. the time. And I was just, the sheer volume of it, you know, and, and I don't mean that just in the loudness of the music, but just like the amount of people there, the amount of energy there, the amount of 
just it was so far beyond anything I'd ever seen in my life. You know, it was so loud. People were just jumping around and like those Seattle mosh pits yeah, that sure. area. Yeah, just classic, like not yeah, for the, the 90s fa- mosh pit. not for the faint of heart. Yeah. <laughs> and just the fact that I jumped in there and got elbowed in the face, I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. But I was like, the thing that I kept coming back to was that idea of just like the power of that, mm-hmm. you know, the power of being on stage and, and having seen my mom on stage, having done a little bit of theater myself, it kind of just all clicked. And it was like, it was the year that uh, Page and Plant were there. Uh-huh. Seattle Memorial Stadium had this gate and everybody was paying, and I think it was like 10 bucks the gate. Yeah, sure. Back know. then it seemed expensive. But of oh, course yeah. we're like, screw that. I'm yeah. not. And so we lifted up the fence gate and went under the gate. You know, that's how we got into that. Come on, man. 10 bucks. Even if you're so broke, 10 <laughs> bucks is not that bad. It's like 250 this year for a, you know, oh, yeah, for a, know. a full-on right. pass. But, you know, we got in for free, and then we watched a bunch of shows. But that's the one that hit me. And, and actually, I, what I liked about the Sky Cries Mary show was just the pageantry, costumes, mm-hmm. the yeah. the outfits and all that. And it just kind of, it all, it all hit me. I was like, you know, singing church. I sing all the time. I write songs with my friends. It's like, I should get on stage and do this. And like yeah. maybe less than a year later is that show I had in Lake Stevens, the show that everyone's still talking about yes the honestly. infamous lake steven did you have that moment i've had that moment many times it keeps um, happening yeah yeah i think there's a number of times where like you get hit with inspiration so hard you can't resist it yeah and you're like god damn yeah. it, i gotta fucking up my game yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's um, a great point like like a big one for me and this is not like the first one that you asked but a big one for me was the first time i heard no means no mm-hmm. and that was when i threw my guitar away and picked up a bass yeah you were like ooh, bass. yeah i was like i, I so never it just knew called you, could, you i never knew you could play a bass like that mm. in a band like this if you know no means no and you know my band akimbo yeah. like you can hear it's it. Bass forward. It's there. Let's put yeah, it that's that way. all. That's all. It's just like yeah. it's punk music played bass first. Mm-hmm. I think the actual answer to the question is is sort of a two parter, and they both happened in the same building. So when I was growing up, there was two venues in the suburbs of the Seattle area: the Redmond Firehouse yep. and Ground Zero in Classic Bellevue. era. Yeah. Classic era. And they were all ages clubs that were teen centers. So if you couldn't get into bars and you didn't live in Seattle proper, you don't know how to see live music, you know you want to see live music. There were these teen centers that are places for teens to hang out, run by staff who know how to hang out with teens. Yeah. And they would put on all ages shows. And so bands would come and play these places. And a lot of times bands that were teenagers or people in their early 20s who had sort of grown up hanging out in those places yeah. who now had bands would play and it was like really inspirational and like really like self-sustaining artistic scene for young kids yeah, it like, was literally yeah. a golden age of, yeah of suburban yeah. seattle but that's so and, it's so true too the all ages thing i mean that's when you get into it you don't want to wait till you're 21 to go see a killer no, show and, and no you know you don't want to be limited from that and so those are important places we lose those places we need to lose to, everything yeah, yeah everything. You know? exactly yeah you said it's important right and that's yeah. that's not a word i throw around lightly i, I do think the places like that are very important and it's so impactful too to like go to a show and see someone your age or just a couple years older than you who's still in high school mm-hmm. performing like that is just like it like, just opens your eyes right they can do that yeah fuck it, i can it, do that yeah, yeah that's totally true. there's a theory called the zone of proximal development and the whole idea is like you'll learn more from a peer that's just slightly above your level Oh, and you yeah. learn from anything else, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's that's just so much about that I believe in too, because that's how I started, you yeah. know, just seeing people that were maybe a year older, two years older, and you're like, yeah, I could do that, but I, you know, I got to, exactly. I got to get there, yeah, exactly. You know? So yeah, there's there's two moments they both happened going to shows at Ground Zero in Bellevue. The first one was what I want to do, which is playing a punk band, and I saw this band called I Forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget about that band. I, F E R G I T. It's oh, like. Boy. 
So clever. Shitty punk band yeah. from back in the day, <laughs> but like, but like actually pretty good. Sure. And I was into punk music and I had like a Misfits tape and like a Germs tape or something. And then I happened to go see it, this show and, and it was just like, I want to do that. But it, it doesn't always take great art to inspire you to no. do art. You know what I mean? Like it, it can, sometimes it can be something that it's not critically acclaimed, but there's something you take from it and you're like, okay, I can, I can do that, but maybe twist yeah. it into my own thing. Yeah. Right? And I think that's part of the art form that is punk too, yeah. right? Which that's, is like, it doesn't have to be fancy. Punk. Right there, right? And then the other band was at Ground Zero as well, which is a band that you you'll definitely know, Jeff. Mm. I don't know if you'll know North American Bison. Oh yeah, God, I love those guys. So they ended up still friends with most of those. Guys. Yeah, they <laughs> they ended up playing one of those all ages shows, and they were top of the line back dude, then. They were so sick. They were like the best <laughs> punk band in town. Yeah, and they were punk technically. They kind of had like a metal cut to them, and they were like, progressive. Yeah, they put shit together. Yeah. yeah. And um, to like bring back real, no means no real means. angry, real pissed off, <laughs> and like the drummer had like this huge fucking like metalhead kind of drum yeah, kit with like a rack and like a yeah. ton of drums and There's, stuff. Was the bar there? He had a yeah. bar. And that bar. was that the was, bar. Then you're not messing. That was around. not normal in punk rock. Yeah. yeah, and that was there for that show too. When we saw them, we were just like, oh, there's like attitude that you could put a little bit of English on that pitch yeah. you're throwing to the right. audience. It's right, like, right. ooh, that's that's my kind of shit. Like mm-hmm. that's how I want to do it. Right. Yeah, just something, just a little bit off. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I respect most about the art form is that that attitude, that disposition, where you situate yourself as a musician. Love that. Well, shit, Ethan. I got to go play a show in Portland. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, at some point, we're going to have to yeah, wrap this up. Yeah. But I, I've had a really great time Dude, talking we, to you guys. We appreciate and, yeah. you being here. And this yeah, was. It was great. Thank you so much, Ethan. Really appreciate you being here. All right, Ethan, thank you so much once again for coming oh, yeah. and talking to us. That was great. Great chat. Great getting to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also good having drinks and beers at like 11 a.m., although he did keep it on the road because I know that he had to like get picked up and go play a show yes. in Portland. <laughs> yeah, that whole interview we were doing, he had to, to leave and go play a show in Portland yeah. like right afterwards. And John and I are like, hey, we're going to have mimosas and we're going <laughs> to... Oh, yeah. We served fucking mimosas. We did. Hell yes. Because we're classy. Yeah. So this is... Episode eight. Episode eight. This is the last episode of season yep. one. We did it. Finished a season officially. We, we never declared when a season would start and stop. We but did not. This is it. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> um, it's roughly a year later, I think. Yeah. You know, roughly. It actually has been about a year. So not a full 12 months of shows, but 12 months of yeah. work. Yeah. It took, work. Some, it took sure. some time to build up and, uh, and, and publish the first one. This year was awesome. Jeff, do you have a favorite story or event i think most people would agree that lupe's story about being somewhere in the middle of nowhere and having a guy like pull a knife on his wife and then she yeah. jerks him off so <laughs> he'll put the knife down is about the most intense thing which is crazy because she has at least two if not three other stories that are almost as badass and that's how our season started yeah and i was like fuck we gotta up our game yeah like you know? like if you haven't listened to episode one Go back. Sorry and about to the it. spoiler, it's but I really mean, Jesus good. Christ, it's really insane. And um, yeah, that moment of recording that first episode, like this is the first episode. Wonder how it's gonna go, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then just pow. you get like the most insane fucking story in the world. Is just oh my god. That what was about such a, you, man? Such a high five moment. So I agree. That's that's a good one. That's up there. Uh, I loved Flavor Flav's cheeseburger from <laughs> so funny. Corey's oh god, Corey's ep- about that episode way. two. But I think the the one that I would pick is the sort of the circular reference to Chris Commons. Oh yeah, there was a double whammy. Yeah. Two shows in a row, kind of. We had two guests that referenced the same fucked up show where they almost got beat up by like hardcore straight edge kids. 
And the worst one of the pack, who was like the littlest, shittiest guy, ended up being Chris Commons, who ended up being in a band with Brian. A later. really good band. Yeah. And also, Chris and his, Commons is awesome. He's also a super nice guy. He's a guy. great guy. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the fact that there's... I feel the, we've shamed him three times. Yeah, yeah. Three times now. Not not two, thrice, because yeah, we just did just it now. again. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some cosmic energy at play there. So, Weird. yeah, that tickled my funny bone. I oh, it was it. hilarious. <laughs> so, anyways, we are currently looking forward to season two yes this is going to be real shitty and weird to say but we're going to take some time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i we, mean we don't move fast at all yeah and we had we've kind of taken some time as john said and we'll take a little more but we do have a couple in the can and a couple more coming so once the season kicks off it's gonna be pretty smooth yeah so it won't be too long of a wait it might take a bit might not we're gonna get it kicked off as soon as we can i will say that we are talking with some buddies locally mm -hmm. who we're gonna partnership with mm -hmm. and it's looking real good we're getting real hype they're gonna help us out with some stuff yeah they're gonna make us a little bit more professional we're going from like level one to level three yeah I, I do terms. believe that that's yeah uh, we will level up at least twice yeah so yeah season two once it kicks off it should be a little tighter on the belt mm -hmm. you know? well pretty good a little more professional Agreed. we're looking forward to it yeah so stay tuned for more information on that we're really excited a huge shout out to everybody who has actually spoken to me in person uh, and even emailed me or texted me and said, thank you so much. I listen and it's totally awesome. And that brightens my day. And I, I can't tell you how much it makes John and I happy to oh, think yeah. that there are people out there who are actually enjoying what we're doing. Because totally. we're enjoying it a lot, but we could just be throwing it out into the podcast first and, uh -huh. you know no one would ever even care and thanks everyone for giving us the reviews and the stars and all that shit Agreed. on all the Thank podcast you. platforms that makes a huge difference uh, and it's super helpful and it's going to make season two a lot and a lot easier keeps coming in <laughs> so thanks so, again thank you very much all right we love you all this show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time, and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Help us set the record straight. Tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrowwediepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow, Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwediedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E. Die.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is Tomorrow We Die Podcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast production by myself, Jeffrey M. McNulty, at the Pachinko Parlor, Seattle, Washington. The background music is from Null Frequency Impulsor. Thanks so much for listening.